course, I'm going to ask you guys to go to hankstrange.com, sign up for the email list. Very important thing to do. That's a great way to support us. You can communicate with us. We can communicate with you. There are uh, Lola Post deals on there. If you look under Lola's deals, as well as we have a merchandise tab where you can get patches. So we've got the, uh, this is the broadcast. We've got the blaster patch up there, as well as the 2020 was hell in a handbasket patch that you can get from there. And uh, if you pick up any of the patches right now, uh, Lola's throwing some stickers in there, or you can get these stickers. This is the uh, Hank Strange grenade logo sticker that I'm showing. So HankStrange.com, that's the place to go. Uh, let me load up my guests in here. We will be having Rob McNeely of Tusk joining us. He's uh, I don't see him yet, so he'll probably be coming on here in a few minutes once he gets everything set up. Let me just uh, smash the open and get going on this. Welcome back to the Hank Strange Situation. All right, guys, welcome back to the channel. Smash the subscribe button, smash the thumbs ups, ring the bell so you can be notified every time we go live. Uh, I believe everyone here has done this before. We got to do jazz hands to get this started. There you go. Jazz hands are going. We are live. I hope you guys have your big girl panties on. This is episode 717 of the Who Moved My Freedom podcast. And the title tonight is Can Crypto Help Us? So we hopefully have Rob McNeely of Tusk joining us later. Uh, we also have Alex of Control Pew. There he goes. Alex, what's up, man? Not a lot, dude. Hanging out, living the dream. Awesome. Great to have you back, man. Appreciate that. You know, Good to be back. Yeah, especially you know, with the new status. You know, you're showing up on Tim Pool. Joe Rogan right. is next. Joe Rogan is next. Got to be. Got to be on Joe yeah, next. Yeah, we're going to make that gonna happen. do some DMT. Gonna... <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, uh, no. Uh, my advice to you is anything that Joe Rogan pushes across that table, right? you politely push it back, sir. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go with it except for whiskey and coffee that's, oh. that's two lines right there oh okay what was that mark <laughs> i was gonna go completely the opposite anything he pushes i say you go ahead with it it's it's fine no, oh, no right. work. <laughs> okay well you know yeah that you could go that route too you can go that route too also joining us is my friend mark i call him beard almighty i don't know what he's going by now but we've been buddies for a long time he was here last when we did the election stuff i believe right mark that's correct. Yes, and he's joining us because uh, I know nothing about crypto, so I know Alex does, and Mark, of course, you're you're into crypto uh, along with the many other interests that you have. Um, so Mark is joining us here to uh, ask the tough questions. That's you know, hopefully, Mark. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, while we're waiting for for Rob to come on, we've got Control Pew here. You 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 know, you're in the realm of. 3D printing stuff. Um, if folks out there have questions, it's a good time to let us know. Mark, have you gotten into any 3D printing of anything yet? I, I have one that I bought, oh, I don't know, maybe five, four or five years ago now. Um, mm -hmm. It's been fantastic. It's, uh, it's one of the ones that's uh, made in Korea. Um, I really like it. It's a very small platform, you know, and I've just done Basically, what 90% of us is just tinker around and, you know, play around with it. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's about it. But I, I have a, a, a high interest in it. I've been monitoring it, looking at the changes, watching the different, uh, you know, the additive and the, the different ways. Uh, and I, I really think it's if it hasn't really kind of gone over the edge, I don't think it's very far from doing that. I can't wait to hear what Alex has to say about 
where the technology is going, not only just how it affects, yeah, I see this, <laughs> uh, just not, not only how it affects uh, the, the, the 2A industry, but sort of just our lives in general. Yeah, good good question, Alex. You want to take that? Um, God, that was a that was a heavy one to hit me with right out of the gate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fixing the two A industry. Good lord. <laughs> um, <laughs> for starters, it, it makes everyone an advocate, right? If you're if you're making this at home, I hope you have a better understanding of like what guns are for and and how they're, you know, how how to. I guess better utilize them um, and, and what's actually involved. Like I, when I when I you know find new things, I and I get exposed to the more I start to understand like the engineering background behind them and the physics involved and in, in how they operate. I'm very like mechanically oriented. Mm -hmm. So for me, this helps me understand. You know, this this helped me understand. I guess not really, but it, it, it's a, it's an extension of like what the gun physically is. And uh, I don't know. It, help, it helps me sort of come to terms with, um, and and sort of combat the whole, like the 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 mythical sort of uh, lore that the anti-gun lobby starts to starts to push over it. You know, these these things make you think weird things. They think about you know, all you know, um, mental health stuff. And and yeah, it's. It's a physical object, and I hope that people, if they start building, will understand that better. Mm -hmm. uh, Hopefully, that was coherent. <laughs> Got me off guard. I, I mean, well, you know what? I kind of we'll, we'll let Mark get into it here. I think that when you do start making anything, right, anything that you're getting into, if you actually get your hands dirty making it, if it's cars, uh, guns, any anything out there, once you get into it, you get your hands dirty, you have a better understanding. That's the part that I got. What about you, Mark? Well, I think that this is just an extension of what we see when people that are in opposition to um, <laughs> assault rifles right. go and shoot. How many times have we seen mainstream media members go and shoot, and all of a sudden there's a smile on their face, and they're kind of embarrassed that there's a smile on their face, right? <laughs> but we can go back to all these people that that uh, you know Ted Nugent has taken out shooting, and even like Joe Rogan and some of these other people that have taken. All of a sudden, uh, they're not as scared of it. Oh well, this isn't this big scary thing. And so I think this is just an extension of that at a yeah, much absolutely. deeper level. I mean, you go from operating it, which you have a basic understanding when someone walks you through the safety rules and you know that kind of thing. But now all of a sudden, you're building it. I, I had not thought of that, and I think that that is such an excellent approach to this because it's better than even getting them involved in shooting. Getting them involved in this process is is a much deeper. I, I really like it. I got to go. I'm going to fire mine up. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm hanging in here with you guys. I'm just trying to get Rob on, so you guys keep going here for a second. Um I don't know whose turn it was. But well, I mean, I'll, I'll throw some questions out. Yeah, uh, hit me. Hit me with uh, whatever you got. So, uh, and I'm sure you've talked about this uh, ad nauseum, maybe, uh, you know, uh, but for me and maybe some of the viewers that haven't heard it, how have you seen things change? You know, it's obviously 2015, 2016, when it started to get a little more traction, a little popular, but they were $2,000. You know, now you can buy one of the large machines for much less than that. They're much more dependable. What do you see? I'm interested as what you see as the next step. You know, we can all kind of see that there's the, you know, the what is it, the DLP laser 
uh, systems versus the, the purely additive systems. What do you see three, four, five years down the road uh, that will make this even more for the masses, uh, easier, quicker, cheaper, more dependable, that kind of thing? I mean, the, the beautiful thing about this is it's not like we're not a company in the industry driving uh, technology. There are a thousand other companies driving technology forward and that aren't even us and aren't interested in firearms one way or the other. So uh, right now we're looking at better, cheaper printers. So we're looking at, you know, something about like the Ender 5 I have back here um, for the same kind of money, but better features and larger. So a, a larger machine, metal hot ends, um, stuff that can print more durable material faster and more consistently, and then more better, better and better material sciences. I don't know that we're going to get to metal printing in the next five to 10 years at the consumer level. Um, that's got a long way to go before it, uh, before it becomes accessible to someone doing it in their living room. But now, I want to break in real quick here. On yeah. that. Is that a function of the fact that the the makers of these know that the the wallets are much deeper. They can sell one metal printing machine to Ford for hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Why would they even think about moving the technology downstream to the end consumer for right. such a small purchase amount? Do you think that plays into it or is I, it a technology issue? I mean, I'm sure there's some of that, but it really like the core of it really is a technology issue because the way the the, the SLS printing, the, the metal laser printing works is you deposit a powder of, of metal, basically dust particles, and you, you heat up the chamber that it's in to just below that particle melting point, and then you hit it with a laser to move it over that line in that specific area. And it melts that layer, and then you do it again, and you repeat, and the layers all fuse together, sort of. There's still, um, they're, they're not, it's not one cohesive piece, it's a bunch of little balls that are stuck together. So, we have this is bad for, um, for for okay. And then once all that's done, you have to send that off, that part off to. I guess I would almost describe it as like a casting facility where they're gonna take that part, they're gonna make a mold, and then they're gonna like fill the mold with additional material. So, it almost becomes. Uh, well, okay, so. That right there is one of the reasons, the primary drivers why you can't do it in your living room is you have to send it off to another like a furnace and it's got to become a whole, you you need a facility to do it. It's a multiple step process. Whereas your FDM printers are just, you hit the button and then it comes off. Um, and then another part of that is uh, the, the, the actual material cost to get, you know, the powder is not very cheap and then you have to fill your chamber with inert gases and it's also not very cheap and then you have to build a, con a containment unit to hold all of that together at temperature for a while and that's that again that's one more level of not cheap so it's got a ways to go it it, it, it is a technology problem so and, what is a, what does yeah, a unit like that. that cost you know if, if if someone was completely dedicated to this like yourself i'm sure you have an interest in having one of those what would that cost you? I mean, if you were just uh, going to go buy an entry-level machine right. like that to use, ballpark is fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The 
And uh, by the way, we got Rob on finally. <laughs> the, Hello. Hey, Rob. What's up, man? Um, well, it was the damnedest thing besides I hate Microsoft products and I hate Skype. Uh, I yeah, just logged into Skype and apparently I have two Skype accounts, I guess. So I logged me into my not normal one. So that's where I was. And I'm like, where is everybody? So, <laughs> hi, how are you doing, guys? No, it's cool. Well, we got you here. From Microsoft saying you're not allowed to have two accounts. They'll cancel both of them and ban you for life yeah <laughs> you know what i've already been canceled and deplatformed enough so i i just i just expected at this point that's just where eventually my life will fade out to de being deplatformed that's how yeah. i just expect to go yeah someone just needs to make deplatform.com and then every, we'll all wind up over there and that'll be the cool kids place uh, where everyone Maybe. actually is. Yes. So we've got Rob here. You know, we've got Control Pew. Mark and, and Alex were actually uh, deep in a conversation, which I was kind of not following, really, because <laughs> obviously we're trying, to, we're trying to get everyone on here. But, you know, thanks for keeping the show going, guys. And what I would, what I would ask is for everyone out there to smash the thumbs ups, uh, ring the bell. Of course, I want to let everyone know that we are sponsored by Tusk. Rob is here representing Tusk as a cryptocurrency payment for the firearms industry. So they do sponsor us, uh, full disclosure to everyone out there. And, um, you know, just bear that in mind as you as we have this conversation. I think it's great that we've that we've got Alex and we've got Mark because maybe they can come up with some questions for you, Rob, uh, you know, some tough questions for the folks out there. I don't, I'm sure a lot of the, the audience out there. Um, then maybe we can get, we can ask people that. Who knows about cryptocurrency? Who understands cryptocurrency out there? If you do, let us know now. Show your hands. Uh, if you notice, my hands are not going up. So we're working on you, dude. Yes. We're working on you. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but if you guys don't know, this is a great opportunity. I I feel like to get into this. Um, Alex, you were saying that you're you're involved in cryptocurrency, right? Yeah, we dabble a little bit uh, in mm -hmm. the community. Um, mm -hmm. So for uh, for well, okay, a lot of our community focuses around decentralization of all things. Mm -hmm. um, firearms manufacturing becomes a part of that, and you know, along with that, you have decentralization of your money, uh, which you know, Bitcoin cryptocurrencies do pretty well. Um, our community dove heavy into it during our time on Keybase. Uh, we were getting uh, stellar lumen drops, uh, airdrops while we were there because we had, you know, they, they were doing a thing where you just had an account and you got uh, this cryptocurrency drop. And a lot of people would donate that money to developers to fund projects. So um, it was an interesting time, to say the least, given how the whole Keybase thing shook out in the end. Um, I still funded. have my Lumen. I still have my Lumen airdrop from that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. They, they funded quite a bit of our development, and uh, it sort of put us in the crypto space more heavily as developers. Um, I personally run a Bitcoin uh, BTC pay server node, and I, run, I, I accept Bitcoin payments in my shop, and I run a donation portal for developers to accept Bitcoin directly. Okay. So... Yeah, yeah, that's my exposure. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Good, good exposure. Yeah, that's uh, good stuff to know. Um, uh, Mark, do you want to, like, where would you put your interest in Bitcoin at? Like, you know. Uh, I first got interested in it uh, back in 
2011, 2012 uh, timeframe. I went in and out of it a couple of times. I was kind of involved in it in the Mount Gox. And anyone that's familiar with crypto will kind of know that fiasco and disaster. Luckily, I wasn't one of the ones that you know had millions of dollars that, that was lost. Uh, so I was fortunate there. Uh, and then I stepped away from it from a bit. And then I got back involved in it in 16, 17 a little bit. And I've kind of been involved in it from a layperson's perspective. Um, not, you know, I'm not involved in any projects. Uh, I, I don't have a business that accepts it. Nothing like that at all. But just from a layperson, decentralized, self-banking kind of scenario. Um, and from that perspective, I'd kind of like to get Rob's 60-second elevator pitch on Tusk so I can sort of hear it from uh, the elephant's mouth, so to speak. <laughs> I like the elephant. Um, straight up. Uh, I always like to preface these conversations is that I love Bitcoin. I'm a big Bitcoin investor. Um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Bitcoin. And we're not competing with Bitcoin. So I always like to throw that out there because a lot of people, even in the, the 3D printed gun space, there's a lot of Bitcoin, what we call Bitcoin maximalists that just like Bitcoin and they hate on everything else. And and, and I hope it just, just doesn't develop, delve into one of those you know arguments because mm -hmm. um, it's just those things have been hashed to death. So uh, essentially, uh, we decided three years ago, over three years ago now, we started and launched our project originally. Um, uh, and essentially, we, we decided to be Bitcoin for guns. Um, now, that encompasses a whole lot. It's kind of a loaded statement. But essentially, um, there are a lot of differences to what Bitcoin is and what we're doing. Um, we are a non-ICO community, open, you know, community-driven, open-source project. We never sold tokens, never sold coins. Um, we've been in a pilot for about six months, and we're about to go full launch after our payment gateways are completed, and those are being worked on right now. Um, but I think that one of the key differences is that we purpose-built Tusk in our blockchain with the gun retailer in mind. So we're focused on lawful gun retailers. Um, we made it with a different blockchain than Bitcoin. So it's faster than Bitcoin. It's cheaper than Bitcoin. The pricing for transactions are always consistent. Um, so you always, so retailers always know what it's going to cost to transact with Tusk. Um, but one of the big things that's different in what we're doing probably than any other cryptocurrency is we asked the question and we think we solved it is how do you market a decentralized cryptocurrency to get adoption, but market it like a startup. And and to that end, and what we came up with is is that we created this uh, thing called the marketing partner that is a term limited and elected vendor to the Tusk decentralized blockchain that gets a small sliver of block rewards and its job is to use that for marketing to grow Tusk. And part of that is doing just sales. Um, unlike a lot of cryptocurrency projects, we spend more time going to gun-related events like SHOT Show, uh, Firearms Policy Coalition, NRA Convention, and we're the only crypto project there. There's no one from Bitcoin there. There's no one from the Lightning Network there. Um, and, and we believe, in, and, I, and I still believe this to this day, that the main reason nobody's using crypto for money, because no one is, not even with Bitcoin, uh, there's some technological reasons why. But the other thing is that people want to buy from people they know, like, and trust. And, and ultimately, we believe that to close the last mile of crypto adoption, which no cryptocurrency has done yet, um, it's going to require hand-holding. It's going to require actual customer support. It's going to require marketing to get people to actually spend crypto. 
right now, Bitcoin is a store of value. It's an amazing project, but it's a store of value and it's really not designed and not really being utilized very well as a payment system. And, you know, when Bitcoin goes up 10 grand like it did the other day, why in God would you waste it on buying coffee? And it doesn't make sense, in our opinion, for a deflationary asset to be used for payments. And so I can unpack any of that, and, and I'm not here to cause a fight. It just we're a very different project than what Bitcoin is, because our focus has always just been on getting people to use and adopt cryptocurrency, because it doesn't matter how great the technology is if no one uses it. So can I jump in here real quick? Well, sure. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I see what you're saying with something with the volatility of Bitcoin. You know, why would you why would you want to turn your Bitcoin in for, you know, let's stick with the firearms industry rather than the cup of coffee, since that's kind of what we're all here talking about. Why would you buy a Glock today when Bitcoin could go up 30 percent tomorrow and you could have bought a Glock and a couple extra magazines? Right. I, I get that 100 percent. So I, I'm on board with that. My question uh -huh. to you would be, how are you going to handle the early adopters with the limited daily volume that you have currently, what's the roadmap? So if I'm a vendor, I'm hankstrangegunshop.com and a guy comes in, I want him to use Tusk for whatever reason because I can't get the proper payment processing through Visa, Bank of America, all of the things we all know about. I can't have him buy even something as simple as a $400 Glock with Tusk today, right? Because the limited volume that you have, a $400 purchase would be the highest daily volume so far this year. So the 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 change in price well, because you're, of you're, the, well, well you're you're confusing uh, well one that's not true. Okay. Um, we've actually had over three thousand dollars worth of body armor purchased this year. That's not done through an exchange. That's on chain. And okay. that's not measured on daily volume, measured on an exchange or okay. a tracker like CoinMarketCap. So on-chain volume is not calculated or tallied by CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap. So you're talking about trade volume on exchange, which is different than on-chain sales. So I just right. want to clarify that. Right, and I'm completely aware mm -hmm. of that. However, the guy that, that sold the body armor, he must still be holding the tusk, correct? For now, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so at some point, He's going to have to go to a marketplace mm -hmm. uh, through an exchange in order to convert that, whether it's fiat, USDT, USDC, Bitcoin, whatever he decides, in order to use that to pay his rent, to pay the invoice for who, if he was, you know, uh, not the manufacturer of the body armor. So that's my question. I, I understand the on-chain argument, but it, once again, if I'm HankStrangeGuns.com and I want to, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to be defensive. I really want to know what your road roadmap, what your plan is to overcome the early shops that pull this on that can't turn the 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 tusk into something that they can use in their daily to you know to, to pay Davidson's for the gun that they just sold when they want to buy another. Sure. So two things. One, um, our volume has definitely been fluctuated, but we don't have payment gateways yet. So part of the problem is we have a list of retailers that want to use it right now, but can't because we just don't have the payment gateways out yet. Um, we're, it's baby steps like everything else. Um, if you do look at our volume, though, from most of November, December, we had volume in the thousands every day, um, upwards to 15,000. So our volume has gone up and down depending on what's going on. So how do you get people excited about a project and want to invest in, in, in other words, increase that daily trade volume? It's marketing. And so one of the things that we're doing right now is, well, we're just started sponsoring several podcasts. Currently, the 
Bronson and Corbin Kaufusi, which are two NFL players that are working with us. They're helping us do uh, recruiting more influencers to come on board. So we're in the last week alone, we uh, are talking to three very prominent other additional influencers that we're going to get on board and look at sponsoring and working on things. I'm fielding calls from retailers all over the country right now, um, almost on a daily basis. So people that are waiting for payment gateways because they do want to use it. And most of the early now, I don't try to bullshit people, right? I say, look, you're probably one, you're probably not going to get sales for a while if you do. And two, you're probably going to have to hold the tusk for a while until we get more liquid. So we are very open and transparent that this is a process and there are things that have to fall in line. Where does it start? Well, it starts here and it starts with the marketing and we have a lot of marketing that's going to be rolling out. So for instance, um, another gun builder, out of I keep forgetting what state it's either Mississippi or Alabama one of those one of those down south states um, is going to be building some giveaway rifles for us at our Tusk theme and we're going to be launching those giveaways starting I think probably the first of March so I got to look at when that um, proposal is set to go through and so we're building and going to be creating a lot of buzz and rolling out the marketing now so that was what the roadmap is for this year is to build up that liquidity to build up that infrastructure and get as many people excited about the project um, and yes for the retailers that need money right now and can't wait they'll come in later and so there's a lot of retailers that see us for what we're doing and they support what we do and those are going to be the earliest ones and honestly those ones will be also the ones that are going to be the most widely rewarded for coming in early it's like anything else so definitely something we're very cognizant of and thinking about all the time rewarded with an increase in the value of the tusk they hold or rewarded somehow through tusk with additional coins what how would they be rewarded for being early adopters Oh, well, that could be one way. So for some of the early pilots um, that, so in our pilot program, um, we have an allocation of Tusk that we are giving to the early retailers to help compensate for their risk and coming with us in early. So we also have a merchant directory at Tusk.network. So we're giving them free marketing. We also, between the various players on our project and our socials, we do a promo um, outreach blast through our social media. So we have over 400,000 followers on the various accounts that we operate. So we're promoting those initials. So so there's a lot of, I like to say I'm trying to build relationships out doing our outreach, but it's about say, how can we help you with in-kind until we really get the volume going? And the volume will come. And, and, and I'm, I'm solid at that. We've been here three years. Um, even when we were a token before we launched our blockchain, we had weeks where we were getting $50,000 a day in trade volume. So to me, it's just, it's baby steps. Ultimately, it's just, we have to get the word out there about what we're doing. And now that we're just about ready to launch the payment gateways, um, we're now beginning the marketing. So I think that's just part of the process. Yeah. Let me so, just jump in here for a second if I can. I think, Alex, you have a question? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just wanted to let everyone know who's watching this, because I know some of this might be confusing for people. Or, or, you know, I mean, it's confusing to me. So I'm going to assume, you know, uh, that it's confusing for all the folks out there as well. What we're trying to do is is help people get a clearer picture of what's going on here, um, because that's really important. The thing that I just got out of what... Uh, you know, what Rob is saying here is that the marketing aspect of it is incredibly important, right? It's probably job one in a situation like this. Um, and so I, I think I understand why. Uh, Mark, Alex, do you guys understand why marketing would be job one or do you question that? Um, I'll start with Alex. 
No, I think you're I think you're on the money. Um, <laughs> Bitcoin is scary to people who don't know anything about Bitcoin. Um, digital money. What do I have to do anything about that? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, my my parents have made that argument multiple times when my, whenever my brother tries to get them in Bitcoin in, in, into mm-hmm. Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and you know it's a fair argument from their perspective because they don't understand yeah. anything about and it. I, and they're I not saw gonna, they're not going to pay attention either. Right, and so. I saw a guy. There was a guy here. Sorry, we didn't get you, uh, which we will if you're still here. If you have specific questions, but there was a guy who said that. He lost his entire life savings, I guess, in uh, in Bitcoin, and you know he feels it's like a Ponzi scheme and stuff like that. Um, so I know there's people out there who feel that way. As Mark said, you know there were scams in the beginning of that, and and we had someone on before who said they got taken advantage of. Let's make it clear: he didn't lose his entire life savings mm-hmm. because of Bitcoin. Now maybe he lost his wallet or yeah. he, he said because of an EMP let me correct I went back and got a statement he said I lost my entire life savings in Bitcoin because of an EMP um, that's literally make a lot of sense. EMP well, I don't even not, understand what that means it's yeah. literally not possible if he's taking the proper protocols to back up his wallet mm-hmm. I mean EMP doesn't destroy paper and pen as far as I know right uh, so yeah. I mean I, I don't know I, I, I find that pretty difficult to believe yeah, if he uh, if, if it was done properly, now, I mean, if he right. obviously had it stored on an electronic device and somehow it got EMP'd, that's on him. That isn't a Bitcoin problem. Mm-hmm. We're not talking like an EMP in the sky. We're talking like a power surge or something. Is that what he's talking uh, about? I'm not sure. I'm I'm basically putting his comment up there. There hasn't he, been any EMPs going off in the atmosphere, right? Yeah. Right. No, not that I know of. Not that I know of. But if he wants to clarify that, we could definitely touch on it. I understand that there's people that have a lot of apprehension and there's a lot of things that could happen, right? People got conned and all that kind of stuff. Sorry, Alex. Go ahead. No, it's it's a new and scary technology to some people and they don't understand it. And marketing Mm -hmm. will certainly help that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think you're 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 on the right path with that idea. You're on Mm -hmm. the right path with the, the, the circularizing of the economy and being able to use Tusk for multiple things. Um, tell me a little bit about how you, the token value is derived. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in our world, you know, I look at it like all value is subjective. So the value is, you know, determined by currently by the five exchanges that we're on. And it will be further, you know, valued as we get on more exchanges as we improve our liquidity. So the market determines the value task. I don't. Okay. The so project task, that's market driven. Right. So, so potentially, though, you still have the same volatility as Bitcoin then? Of course. Okay. Okay. So, well, we, it's, you, you made a point earlier about the, the volatility of Bitcoin and utilizing it. And then we're not – one of the problems I foresee is that, well, why would I want to use my Tusk if it's going to be as volatile as Bitcoin? Um, and not something tether – like uh, – not something architected in a way that, like, similar to the Tether coin where it's tied to the U.S. dollar. Like right, which was my so, next question, why you didn't do a pegged version of this. Well, I, can, let me ask I'll, – I'll address both. Mm-hmm. So um, I was saying about the transaction fees are volatile in Bitcoin, not the value of Bitcoin. That's what I was referring to. Okay. Um, I think ultimately one of the reasons uh, Bitcoin and other cryptos are so volatile is because they're only speculated on. And so they're not really used for any kind of utility transaction purchases for the most part. Mm. I mean, there are some transactions, but 
for the most part, they're just speculation. And anytime you have something that is widely speculated on is the majority of what it is, you're going to have a lot more volatility than you will if something gets used. So we believe as we go forward and we start getting actually used because we've architected a bunch of different things to help promote the use of it over the investment side of it. Um, we believe that in time, as we hit some equilibrium in the future, I don't, I don't have a, you know, I don't have a crystal ball on what that looks like, but we believe that it will naturally become less volatile over time as people use it. If it's only speculation driven, it'll always be a volatile asset. And same thing with Bitcoin. Um, uh, to answer the other question about why did we choose not to do a stable coin, um, there's a whole lot of reasons why. One. The U.S. dollar just got deflated to the tune of $10 trillion over the last four years with the last administration and probably double or triple that with the current administration. Uh, there's no way in hell that I would want my long-term project and the project we created to be pegged to, I believe, a very risky asset in the long term as the U.S. dollar. So there's no way in hell I would want to artificially peg the value to something like the dollar um, or any currency that's fiat driven anyway. But I think ultimately this touches on another thing is why would you want a stable coin? So if you look at the whole reason stable coins were created, I believe for the most part was based on a false assumption put out by some OG maximalists back in the day. And that assumption that I believe is faulty, and I'll tell you why I think it's faulty, is they believe that retailers won't adopt something because of the volatility of the value. And I can tell you as someone who's talked to hundreds of retailers over the last three years, that is not the number one objection I hear. It's not. And if you look at the people that have really pushed stable coins, by the way, which have some really dodgy stuff going on behind the scenes, especially with Tether and, and some of these others, um, I don't believe that that is the biggest objection that retailers have. I believe people thought that because, you know, for instance, Bitcoin didn't, was not successful at getting adoption as a currency. It became very successful as an investment. But if you look at the people that pushed the idea that volatility was the reason retailers didn't want to use it, I don't believe it's true because that's not been my experience actually talking to gun retailers and other retailers out there. That's not the lead objection. Um, so my thoughts are there's other issues with issuing a stable coin, and we're seeing that now with the latest recommendations coming out from governments that they only want governments or banks to issue stable coins. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Did no, I'm sorry. No. Uh, um, <laughs> did you guys hear so, me? I, I, I was pretty sure I muted it. <laughs> um, no. Okay. So besides, I don't believe artificially controlling the value of something. I think the market should determine what the value is. I don't like the idea of stable coins being pegged to something like uh, the dollar, which is declining in value. And if the dollar goes belly up, then it goes your stable coin value, too. Um, and then on the other hand, there's a lot of legal issues um, surrounding the issuance and the governance of stable coin products. And I think that area is there's going to be a lot more control coming from regulators in that area in the future. And we just thought for those reasons, we did we decided not to go with the stable coin. Okay. okay. So you hit it, you hit it a bunch of times there. What is the objection that you hear the most for retailers? Mm -hmm. Um, the main main one, if we actually explain it to them, is how to deal with taxes. 
Right. And, and a lot of people out there, that's the biggest that's one of the biggest objections when people realize the tax implications of dealing cryptocurrency. They don't really want to deal with that. Um, and so one of the things that we're doing to overcome that is we're partnering with an organization to help figure that out and make it easier for retailers to incorporate that into um, accepting it. I used to own a retail store. I know what it like to set up a point of sale and deal with a cash register and deal with stuff. And you don't want you want to make it as easy as possible for them to deal with it. Um mm-hmm. The other thing is, I mean, it's not that the volatility question doesn't come up, but there is solutions. Like, for instance, you know, you can atomic swap into stable coins. And we do have stable coin pairs. So it's like if someone really does want to go into a stable coin for whatever reason, that's not a problem. And so there are options and ways to deal with that. But long term, I just don't want the project we're working on to be based on that. Yeah, sure. C- can I uh, just jump in here for a second? First of all, my apologies. We're moving out of the studio here, and I'm gonna be we're gonna be broadcasting out of the van. So Lola's packing up stuff. <laughs> so that's what's going on. Um, Lola and you're never. You're not going rests. down by the. You're going down by the. <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Um, uh, the other thing is for everyone who's tuning in, uh, Mark is not a husky version of Doctor Evil. Um, your 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 hairless cat is distracting a lot of people, Mark. Well, I apologize. My wife is on the run, and this is a kitten, and she's wanting some attention. So. No, I thought totally... that was an obnoxious chihuahua. <laughs> no, it's totally no. cool. Do you want to show us real quick? This is actually pretty pretty interesting. Just a little segue here for there you go. So this is oh, nice. So this is one of those Egyptian cats. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah, uh, he's very aggressive. I'm assuming it's a boy. Uh, no. Okay. You you know the difference, right? Uh, well, okay. No, <laughs> normally, <laughs> normally, <laughs> I uh, usually don't get that close enough to to that to act. Okay, so there's a bunch of different questions. I don't know if Mark or or Alex had a question, but I notice a lot of people are asking about like you know why is why is this better than gold or this metal or that metal and different things that are out there i mean, look this this is like a you know we're, we're we're talking to 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 folks that have been through um things that would cause them to be more and more paranoid over time does this for the guys who are into crypto this probably seems like a ridiculous question but what what's the answer no. to that no it doesn't seem like a crazy question no, I don't think so at all. Okay. I think I think you'll find a lot of people hold a little of both. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that most people uh, have a, a little bit of, a, of an exposure to different things. You know, not just Bitcoin, but maybe some of the other coins as well as gold or silver or platinum. Or for that matter, uh, you know, right now, bullets. I mean, if Brass. you bought, if you bought yeah, 100,000 AR rounds five years ago, you're doing pretty good right now. So, <laughs> yeah, that's you know. true. That's true. I mean, that's the that's the precious metals that I hold personally. You know, now, I'm uh, I'm really kicking myself for not spending the whatever ten thousand dollars on that fifty five gallon drum from Brownells of five five six. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's I, worth. Yeah, that's worth a pretty penny right now. Go ahead. Retirement. Well, mm-hmm. well I I think it's like this. There's a lot of people in the Bitcoin community that don't like precious metals and and they they actually and i think it's because they feel that they're competitive with they want to usurp gold and precious metals um i i think that's not the battle people in crypto should be fighting i think that's kind of dumb to be honest but mm-hmm. um i i think I, you know i'm an entrepreneur i'm an investor 
And I'm a big believer in, you know, hedging across different asset classes. Mm -hmm. So I think precious metals are a piece of that. We even have paper things like 401ks. Mm -hmm. I have guns, bullets, and and I have crypto. And I think um, smart investors, you know, diversify not only within a class but across classes. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things. By the way, John Crump is also in the live chat. He knows a little bit about this as well. If you guys have questions out there and I'm, and I'm trying to pop up what he's saying. Someone was asking before, uh, is there a limited amount of Bitcoin or how many how much of this uh, is going to be created? I don't know if you answered that already. Maybe we can come back. I mean, to- you know, how much Bitcoin or how much Tusk? I'm sorry. Excuse me. How much Tusk? <laughs> Yes. So this goes into strategy and currently Mm -hmm. we don't have a cap. And so we do have a 5% inflation rate in the beginning, which will be turned down as transaction volume comes up. It's, it's, um, and a lot of people have a knee jerk reaction. You don't have a cap on your supply. And I'm like, no, we don't. And that was intentional. Now we may implement one in the future if it makes sense to, and the community wants it. But one of the reasons why, and we've looked at this, remember, our mission is to get people to spend crypto. And so one of the problems with why Bitcoin and a lot of other cryptos that do have caps on their supply, people don't want to spend them is because they're going up in value. But one of the biggest drivers of that is this artificially created scarcity within those projects. So, for instance, you get more people wanting Bitcoin. And as it, you know, and over time, it, you know, they slow down the rate of production every four years. There's a halving on how many Bitcoin are produced. Um, but then over time, once Bitcoin gets to its 21 million, there's no more that are going to be created unless they do some kind of hard fork or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that creates some other potential issues with paying the people operating the network, the miners. But what happens is, is that that just this basic supply and demand. And so when you have a deflationary asset like Bitcoin, which has a cap supply, it's just like think about machine guns made before 1986. You have a cap supply, right? So over time, more people want them. And they just go up and up in value. That's why, you know, an M16 that's transferable is $35,000 or whatever it is now. Mm. Um, But it's the same thing with Bitcoin. But the problem is now you have you've deliberately created the conditions where it's going to go up in value as an investment, which has the opposite effect of what we want is we want the value to grow, of course. And I believe is when people will start using it, it will grow in value. But the idea is that as more people use it, you still have to pay the bills. You have to pay the people running the network. You have to pay for the charity fund. You have to pay for the marketing partner fund. You have to pay the workers and developers that work on it. Um, And so our supply is not capped. Um, It is controlled. Um, But, you know, that's, that's done intentionally because we do want we don't want there to be this artificial scarcity that makes it into an investment asset because we know because we, we have thousands of investment assets out there in the crypto world now and no one's spending them. And so one of the reasons why and that's why they put all these artificial caps in is to basically create this artificial scarcity. So it goes in, it goes up in value and why most of the creators of these projects did that is because they want their own bags to go up in value. Okay. And so that's one of the things that we decided sure. not to do. There's there's another thing we didn't do is we we don't implement staking. And staking is a way where people can lock up their coins for a period of time and then get interest on it. Well, the minute you implement a staking pool, like a lot of people have asked us to do that, what ends up happening is you're incentivized people saving it and investing in it and not spending it. 
So we're deliberately trying to create the conditions or at least not create conditions where people won't spend it. Okay. So of your 46, roughly 46 billion available coins now, that's right. correct. Right. Uh, how is the distribution among wallets? What is, you know, who has what percentages? What are some of the, because I know uh, you guys are uh, the, uh, the delegated proof of stake, right? So right. if you had someone that controlled 51%, they'd have, and once again, I'm a lay person when it comes to the technical aspects of these things. I don't think so you. I don't think you are. Correct me. <laughs> so correct. He's me. also he's also a gambler. Let's just. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell anyone that, Mark. So, <laughs> yeah, he's 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 schooled so, in the art of the bluff. So, um, uh, uh, so anyway, how, what, how is it distributed? Like, obviously, we know in Bitcoin there's whales, and we can you know, look at different things, glass node, things like that, to see who's controlling what, what wallets have what percentages. So I'm interested as what's the distribution? And, you know, you don't have to be specific exactly, but I'd like an idea of what the distribution of your coins is. I don't know. And here's where it gets complicated. We started as an ETH token, yeah. and then we did a manual swap a year and a half ago when we launched the new blockchain. So we had 5,000 wallet holders at that time. Okay. Only about 10% of them swap the coins so the coins that did not swap got put in reverted to the reserve fund right now there's about 15 percent to 18 percent between the marketing partner fund and the reserve fund and i can't touch those um, well i can touch the marketing partner funds because i'm the acting marketing partner but there's only about one and a half percent or 1.2 percent in that account that's all public we don't hide any of this um, most of the coins got defaulted back to the blockchain and so those can only be accessed via the community vote and under the proposal process. Um, we have another block explorer that's being built right now that does have what we call a rich list. So you can see the top coin holders. Um, I don't know of any one that has more than a couple percentage points of the supply in any particular wallet. Um, I do know that a couple of the original co-founders lost their keys. Um, they're not even involved anymore. So there's not like, and I guess since we're a three-year-old project, there's been a lot of swapping and moving around. I don't know who has what. I know about probably I can identify about six accounts. Um, I know myself, between my wife and I, we have right now about 6% of the supply is what I personally can control. Okay. And I'm probably the largest holder, to be honest, I'm guessing, um, based on that, because we've bought a lot over the last three years ourselves. But um, there's no person that I'm aware of that holds more than a couple percentage points. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I have a supply. And then I have a follow-up to that. With the sure. current market cap it being, once again, rough in 1.4 million, something like that? Is that correct? Sounds about right. Something I haven't like looked, that? It sounds about right. What is the, uh, that's, at this point, that is not a inordinate, I mean, that, that market cap is relatively small, I think, when you it's compare tiny. it. Yeah. I mean, you well, I mean, 8,000 coins, you guys are probably around 11 or 1,200 in market cap. So it's not, there's some that are much, much less than you for certain. Uh, and obviously, more than, is there a concern? Are there protocols in place? This is the technical side of it. To keep someone from coming in, Obviously not now necessarily, uh, unless they were doing it slowly, but to come in and, you know, if you came in and bought a million dollars worth of this, obviously the price would, would rise, so it would cost more. But right now, it's so, the market cap so small, you could possibly have someone that could come in and try to get not necessarily completely controlling interest, but a big enough voting interest that they could certainly sway decisions and allocations and things like that. You mean like game-stopping them or something like that? or. 
I think it's he's talking so, so, way of putting it, but yeah. Okay. So so Hank and 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 you understand that. And right now in a delegated proof of block stake blockchain like Tusk, one uh, we vote on things. That's how mm-hmm. decisions are made about the network. So there's a voting mechanism just for proposals and and block producers and things like that. So one of the concerns about a delegated proof of stake blockchain is that there's cartels that are created, um, meaning groups of people act and coordinate. And what he's saying is, what would what would stop someone from buying up a lot of coins and then wielding inordinate power based on the voting power? Um, a short answer is it doesn't really work very well when they try that. So um, I, I don't know if you followed TRX or Tron when they bought Steam, the whole community forked and left it and left them in the dust when they tried to do a hostile takeover. And it was so widely rejected what they tried to do in that process that one, I don't think there's an advantage to someone doing that. So for one, you might be able to take over power if you wanted to, if you wanted to spend, you know, half million dollars and buy a lot of Tusk. I mean, you're more than welcome to do that, but there's probably not a lot to be gained by doing that because especially at this point in, in our development, if you went and did that, you'd probably get everybody quit. <laughs> everybody just stop. They go fork <laughs> and do something else. And so I think that um, we have a good example of that that's already been tried and it didn't work very well. And in fact, Hive was the fork that after Justin Sun tried to do a hostile takeover of Steam, they created Hive and Hive is now a bigger blockchain than Steam was. So I think ultimately that would probably be a good warning signs for someone who would want to do that. Um, that being said, you know, that we have a, we're a small community right now. And like I said, we're just starting to do our marketing. So we're just really starting to grow. Um, we're pretty tight knit. I mean, we go in there and we talk about these issues and so far, um, it hasn't been a problem, but I think that the people that I know and the people in the community that have been with us for three years, we we are trying to do something to solve a problem. We are very mission focused on solving this payments issue um, in the gun industry and providing that service. And most of the people in the community are very dedicated to that. So, um, you know, I can't say that I can just stop people from buying it on an exchange. Um, but I just don't think they would, that would be very fruitful if they did it. No, yeah. I agree. I was just wondering if you, obviously I knew you had thought about it. I just wanted to get your answer of why you thought it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. So. so Alex, oh, I appreciate it. Alex, looking at this from your point of view, you know, uh, what you do in the gun world, right? 3d printing and stuff like that. What are you thinking about this whole thing? I, I'm, I'm really curious to know how this not. susses out in your brain or if you're not thinking about it, if you're not worried about it at all. It's an interesting concept. It's an interesting project. I think I, I don't know what to, I, I don't really know what to think about it because I don't like to to speculate on until until I don't like to speculate mm-hmm. basically. Like it, it's funny. Um, a friend of mine, Matt Larosier, goes on mm-hmm. camera. He does an interview. It says you absolutely can never three D print an AK receiver, and then the week later we release the Plastikov. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I like I like to publicly give him crap for that, uh, whatever I. We can. had Matt on, so, by the way. Yeah, I, I caught it. It was a, it was yeah. a good show. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I I don't like to speculate. I think it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting proposal. It does address the circular economy that Bitcoin isn't creating, um, mm-hmm. in a different way that I haven't really seen executed before. Um, so I don't know. I I I. I it's it's a good idea. I hope it takes off. I don't know. 
What is it I, that would what is it that would make you someone like yourself pay attention to this? Uh, what would you be waiting for to happen in this space before you took it seriously? Before you're like, okay, mm-hmm. this might be a thing. Really, I mean, for me, so I adopted Bitcoin in my 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 in my personal store because of the market utility of of the number of people who already had it and okay. were already using it for you know, holding or trading or whatever they were doing with it. Um, you know, so that's why I adopted Bitcoin. Um, and that's, I think that's what it's going to take for, for most people to come on board of Tusk is user adoption. So, you know, I, and Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency I, 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 uh, currently accept. And, I the other the the other reason that I accept, started accepting was because a service like BTP BTC Pay Server existed. Mm-hmm. So it was something that was quick and easy for me to set up. It didn't take cost me a lot of time and energy to figure out, and it did exactly what I needed to do and nothing else. It enabled me to accept Bitcoin payments in the store, and then set up additional portals for developer donations so people could give give Bitcoin directly to them you know, just one to the other. So yeah, that, that it did exactly what I needed and that was it. Um, I, I've been asked for people to, people have asked me to say, Hey, can you take Monero or some other coin? And I've been like, not really. Cause 99% of the people who ask me about Bitcoin don't actually hold any Bitcoin currently. They heard about Bitcoin. Oh, you accept Bitcoin. Tell me about Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. so you know, if if I get a mass of people, you know, asking me about Tusk, it would be something that I looked at mm-hmm. uh, for 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 adoption for the store for for my personal stuff. So I don't know. That that's sort of where we're at. Is I mm-hmm. don't have people asking about it, so I don't have a the, gauge, the, so to the speak. Overhead, mm-hmm. yeah, a gauge to say, okay, it's worth spending the time mm-hmm. to figure out how to do the payment processing and the portal setup, and then all the back end stuff of like, how do I cash this out? Because I can't take Tusk to the gro- like, just like I can't take Bitcoin to the grocery store and buy a gallon of milk. Mm-hmm. What do you? What do you guys? And I don't know. I don't know if Rob has a, a question there, but what do? You, so you, Mark and yourself do it. I'm sure you also, Rob, have Bitcoin, right? I have, I believe it or not, I own more value in Bitcoin than I actually do in Tusk. Okay, all right, that makes sense. Um, so, you guys answer this question: Do you spend Bitcoin at all? Yeah. Okay. No. Mark said no. Rob said no. So you do spend it, yeah. right, Alex? Okay. Yep. We had we had we had a vendor for a while in our community who only accepted Bitcoin for um, the little. Clock rails mm-hmm. that we do. Spooky rails? Mm-hmm. Yeah, spooky rails. Mm-hmm. So I spend Bitcoin with that. There are a number of other vendors that I've spent Bitcoin with. Um, yeah. Okay, so you don't hold – you don't have Bitcoin and then hold on to it. Um, I, so I resist trading Bitcoin for cash. Mm-hmm. I will trade Bitcoin for goods or services. Hmm. So okay. if I, you know, I have a surplus of Bitcoin right now that I will just sit on until I need it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Because um, the, 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 the thing that I'm thinking here is, you know, I think that brings back the point of what Rob is always saying, that we need something that we're actually going to use. 
right? So then what's the things in the way? Like one, I know you said you, you want to see a whole bunch of people adopting that or using that, then it's going to, uh, you know, then it's going to make it worth your time to actually get set up for that. That's literally probably the only thing in the way from my perspective. If okay. I was a business owner or a store owner, mm-hmm. my primary concern would be enough adoption so that the volume was high enough that I didn't have to suffer any volatility. Mm-hmm. I know he says that the tax concern is the biggest thing, but I, I think going forward, we've figured out, you know, the accountants are up on it. You have to, you know, mm-hmm. on your well, it, it, on your 1040, you, you got to say, yeah, I've got Bitcoin or crypto and list it and these things. Right. You, uh-huh. you and I have been in the space long enough, though. I think a retailer who's brand new to crypto, that's probably mm-hmm. their number one concern because mm-hmm. they've heard it on the news a thousand times about Bitcoin and taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the taxes, it's one thing if you're an individual, too, right? And maybe you're not going to put all your transactions in account for your basis and things like that. OK, not not that I think anybody here wouldn't pay all the lawful taxes. They owe. <laughs> Tax but, evasion, never. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, and so no one does that. But I, I think ultimately, though, with the re- on the retail side where they have to really kind of care about it, it is a little more complicated mm-hmm. um, for that. But I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm not the I'm not believe it or not. I'm like the worst sales guy <laughs> for this because I, I don't pitch it. I don't hype it, you know, mm-hmm. from the standpoint of it's going to go up in value. Do I think it's going to go up in value? I absolutely think it's going. To I think you're a good adoption. I think you're a good. sell. Here's my thing. I think you're a good sales guy because you're a nerd about this stuff. Now, in the gun in the gun world, in the gun space, saying someone's a nerd is a bad thing. I don't know if it's a bad thing to you, but for me personally, <laughs> I want you to be that, right? Like everyone's asking you a bunch of different questions and you're answering those, you know, answering those questions. That's the thing. I think in the gun world, we see a lot of folks talking about stuff that they really don't know about. So things and, and this is what makes everyone apprehensive in the in, in the gun space, I think. Right. So not necessarily talking about guns, but services that we use. So if someone's coming on board and they have a platform, let's say, and it's going to replace YouTube or Facebook and we're talking to them where I always feel like I'm just talking to a guy who didn't really create this thing. He, he, he basically is just like smooth enough. To, to, you know, to get uh, big box gun companies or something on board and maybe put money into it, but doesn't understand the technical back end of how this, how this service actually works. So for, for you, that's like reassuring, I think, that you're talking to someone, they can answer these questions, it helps you understand it, if that makes any sense. Sure. I, I mean, I like to be as factual as I can, and and I'm not a developer, though I'm I'm pretty technical. I know a lot of technical stuff, um, and I've worked very closely with our team to implement what we have, and, and we got a lot of, you know, big things we want to implement long term if we're successful, mm-hmm. and I think we're going to be. And and part of the reason is, you know, we have no debt, we have no overhead, we have no burn rate, we have a, basically a working product. We just need some payment gateways, and those are being worked on now. Um, and, and we have money in the bank, so to speak. So as once we get more liquid, we can just pile that back into development and marketing. And we're going to. And now we're just been rolling out the marketing. I think you came on six weeks ago, probably. Beginning um, of January, I would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're just rolling it out now, essentially, to the public. And so um, we are certainly are early. Uh, no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. But we're building something that, uh, you know, I hope will be here in 50 years. You know, and then and, and so if you understand, if we were a startup, 
I mean, we got the makings of really good fundamentals for a normal startup, but we're not normal because we're not a company. Um, and I think that's a, that's one of the things that's hard for a lot of people to grasp. What is a decentralized project when there is no CEO, there is no owner? Um, and I like to say that we're kind of like a nonprofit, um, essentially. And, and that's really what we are. We're a protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we created a payment rail that we want people to use because I believe going forward, it's going to be essential and necessary given the political climate in this country. We've been dealing with Operation Choke Point since 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be dealing with Operation Choke Point probably going forward into a more, I would say, a higher extreme. Um, and in the beginning, yeah, there's the people that have come in the beginning and, and accepted and work with us and are interested and supportive. They're going to be pioneers. And, mm-hmm. and there's always more risk for the people in the beginning. Um, but ultimately, I'm accessible. <laughs> I've been here for three years. I've been in my Telegram group every day. You look at my Twitter feed. You know, I'm not shy. I, I'm the guy that I'm. we're always there. And, you know, if you want someone from Team Bitcoin to come to your shop or talk to you on the phone and walk you through the process, set a Bitcoin, good luck. Find a phone number. Let me know how that works. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's not, and oh, and there's, Mark, there's, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Mark, you have a question? Go ahead. Well, I just really kind of have a comment. I, I agree with everything he's saying, and I'm sure some of the pushback he's, he gets is you don't do anything different than this one or that one or X. Or And like he said when we first started this, this isn't a conversation about why he's better than Bitcoin that's mm-hmm. been beat to death. The, the, what he just said is exactly correct. You have someone that you can go and talk to. And like he said, try to do that with Bitcoin. And the thing that I that would go in the positive column for me on this project is the payment gateway, right? So they have to establish that before they can get the onboarding of the retailers and before they can get, and they have to make it as simple as possible for them to do that and to make it simple for customers to onboard their fiat or their other cryptos into test so that then they can then use it to transact. Mm -hmm. All of that I think is fantastic. I do think we need something that that intercedes and comes in between the Bank of Americas and the and the visas and the MasterCards. I think that's all noble if they can get the volume. And I mean, I really think that that's the big hurdle that they've got to get over. Uh, and if they can get over that, then I, I completely agree. I think it's it's what I've heard so far. I think it's fantastic. What I'm trying what I'm trying to figure out is the steps. Like, so I understand that we're in the marketing step, right? When so, what's the next phase after marketing? Is probably what I would want to know there. And then, how do you know that you've gotten to the to the phase where marketing has worked? Is it is it what Alex is saying when everyone starts adopting it, and then guys like Alex are coming are coming to you going, "Hey, we need to figure out how to to get this on." Like, where exactly is that thing where you make the next step? So there's a lot of chicken and egg right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, so we have the marketing piece, right? Which is important because mm-hmm. that's going to get the word out. That's going to get the initial people that are interested in helping improve the volume. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing to get into some of those other on and off ramps, which Mark was just mentioning. So we're talking to one of the major Bitcoin ATM networks in the country. So one of the things that we would like to get to the point and we will is be integrated in that Bitcoin network. I'm not going to say who it is, but, um, again, that's a volume thing. 
Um, and the same thing with getting on American fiat exchanges. Now, again, these are those on and off ramps that make it easier for a retailer to cash in and cash out of Bitcoin. Um, we have to get our volume up to improve that. So initially, we have to help stimulate some of the trade volume. So some of those bigger partners that will get us to that next level will accept us. So we, But to that end... We are already laying those groundwork and we have those relationships already being built with some of the major crypto exchanges that are based in the United States. Um, some of those crypto ATM networks, for instance. Um, so when, uh, so the question is when? And I don't have a great timeline on that. So I, I think things can move very fast in crypto. I've been in this space for a while. Um, and I think once things start slipping, they're going to slip quick and they're going to move fast. Um, I think, uh, like I said, we are stacking up a list of we have about 15 retailers right now, including some pretty big brands. That and you, Hank, and I don't know if I told you about the one, but I'll just say that there's some big brands that we're talking to right now that are looking at supporting the project. And I think depending on when that happens, um, I think things are going to move fairly quickly. Um, I'd like to say that probably my goals would be probably by the end of second quarter that we're integrated at least one or two fiat US-based exchanges. Um, we'll have all our payment gateways probably built at least for the top three major um e-commerce platforms for their plugins, um, the payment gateways. Uh, and I think uh, that should happen. And so I'm pretty comfortable saying that I think by the be you know, end of late spring, we'll be on track. And, and so, but there's just so many of these chicken and egg things that have to happen first. Um, and that's where it gets a little complicated. So it's like you make a little move, little move, and then the next moves get a little bigger and bigger. And then mm -hmm. just is how like, the good thing is, you know, coming on a show like this, working with you, um, working with the other influencers that we're working with. And we're going to get more of those influencers. And I can tell you, even the little bit of volume that we've had over the last couple of weeks is coming from your show. You know, honestly, Hank, I've had I've fielded at least three calls in the last week from retailers based on people that heard you talking about it. Okay. And so when, and the real, when the real gun guys get on board, you, it'll be like a like someone opened the uh, the floodgates then. Because yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, so I think the strategy is we're, we're doing a lot of business development behind the scenes. We're mm -hmm. talking to a lot of the major players. In fact, that's one of the things I use with my 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 own podcast is I interview those players, which is a great business development tool and networking tool. Um, so we are developing the relationships. So when we're ready, we already got those relationships ready to go and it's just going to push us forward. And so, um, the good thing is, like I said, I'm patient, you know, I'm not going anywhere. We don't have to, we're not worried about it. Like, you know, we don't have the concerns and constraints that maybe another startup would saying they have this, you know, a huge payroll they're trying to meet and they're going to go out of business. We just don't have that. So mm -hmm. we can last as long as we need to, and we're going to keep trucking away like we have for the last three years. Okay. So the thing, one of the things I think would be a, a, a heat, I don't know, like a heat moment or something like that, right, on the radar um, is something happening in the news. So, Alex, I don't know if that's the same kind of thing that you've seen in the 3D printing world. And I am trying to, like, make sure we spin this back uh, in the direction of what you do at Control Pew. Did you see something happen where all of a sudden 3D printing took off? Was it related to politics? Was it related to like how everyone got interested in guns sometime last year? Um, I think 3D printing is pretty actively suppressed. We've heard from a lot of people who just, they aren't allowed to run stories on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do know popular front did a podcast or did a, a documentary, a mini doc, a while ago, they met up with one of our uh, foreign developers, and uh, I don't know it, it generated a lot of interest. We've had seen a lot of new people come on board, um, and a lot of additional pressure from uh, media agencies. 
uh, trying to trying to get uh, a one line about why we're evil. So, hmm. so, it's, uh, so you, so you, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Okay, so you're saying that there's like traditional news media outlets out there that want to do stories on you, but have been directed not to do stories. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. On, like the higher ups are. Okay. We've uh, we've been approached by a few, and then the stories were shut down um, because they're they're, hmm. they're they, it's uh they were directed by their management to not run the story or not not investigate the story anymore. And then the ones that do or like do actually run the stories are outfits like the Trace, which are really just you know well funded hit groups and not actual media agencies or journalists. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's the usual thing you expect from being in being in the gun industry in the first place. So do you think that do you think that the 3D printing world then has hit that heat point yet or or you don't even feel like it's even there yet then? Um I feel like we're it, it's it's a, it, it's really been just a series of smaller of of larger and larger hills that we're mm. we're climbing over. Um you know, we 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 had 20,000 people on our keybase team. Um, we got kicked off a of keybase because we were too popular. Uh, they did. They didn't want to be associated with us. We were the mm-hmm. by far the largest team on their platform, and they kicked us off. Um, so we we ran our own, and you know, several thousand of those users came over and are still with us here. So we're 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 growing. We're growing rapidly, and uh, I don't know. It. it you can't stop the signal. It's it's here. We're we're gonna continue to climb over all of the hills in front of us. Mm-hmm. So I mean, is this is how I, this is how I've seen other things in life take off? Yeah. So I don't L- know if little that, by little and then all at once. Well, I mean, and and not just that, but like for example, I grew up in hip hop, and I remember that the more that the establishment came down on hip hop, the more it grew. Hmm. You know, and it was very like I remember the early days of that growing up in that and looking at my friends that were doing things and all that. And, you know, for for example, I went to school with a friend of mine um, actually signed. He was one of the first people that Puffy signed a deal to uh, or maybe I think Puffy signed that deal through someone else, maybe Andre Harrell. But Puffy controlled that deal and his name was Father MC. And to my mind, in the in the late '80s, he took off because all of a sudden he was on uh, Arsenio Hall, and you know I saw the music videos everywhere and all this kind of stuff, and um, you know. But back then he just didn't go anywhere. But as hip hop kept growing, people kept coming down on it, making laws around it, and you know you had all the negative articles and things like that going out there, and then NWA and all that. It just kept building to to the point today where it's like a actual. It's actually one of the most viable forms of music that people are doing, and they kind of pushed it in that direction by telling everyone, "Oh, this is terrible." So I feel like, it, aren't we seeing the same thing with guns? You know, for a long time, the the media, stuff like that, saying, oh, these guns are terrible, guns are terrible, guns are terrible. And then all of a sudden last year, we saw something that we didn't even see back in 2013, right? Things started happening and everyone in America started going, yeah, I'm buying a gun. Yeah, everybody suddenly questioned whether or not their government could actually provide their – provide for their individual safety right. and it's a question that should have never been asked in the first place the answer is always no you have to do that yourself mm-hmm. you know uh, and any number of court cases have seen uh 
you know, they have seen rulings come down where the police don't have to protect you. And that's mm-hmm. fundamentally true because they're 20 minutes of down the road. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's, you know, the the situations that arise where you need a firearm to, to defend yourself. It's, you know, I need this in the next 20 seconds. Whereas, you know, the police response time, any whatever emergency service you need, 20 minutes. Yeah. So and, and people saw that hit home. They saw covid pl- uh, closed police stations and and you know lots of of civic unrest and you know they asked that question and answered it deep down for themselves and then went and bought a gun mm-hmm. so I, I feel like maybe not the media telling everyone that guns are bad um, but rather they looked at the world and used a little bit of common sense mm-hmm. and said oh things are not pleasant or peachy. And not always, you know, it's it's not always sunny. So mm-hmm. maybe I should um, look after myself for a little bit. Yeah. And you I know? think we're, I, if I mean, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, guys, but I feel like we're seeing that same thing happen with cryptocurrency, you know, that there's folks out there saying, you know, the media is saying, oh, this cryptocurrency is a bad thing. Right. The government doesn't like the idea of it. People are hearing about that. And even though people are into gold and things like that. Also, people are into the internet and buying and selling things online, right? And where they don't necessarily see the person that they're trading with. And as much as people are saying that and you have the bad stories out there, it brings attention. And I feel like that same thing is happening to 3D printing from at least from where I'm sitting at. You're sitting in a completely, you know, you're on the front lines, but from where I'm sitting at, I feel... 3D printing is getting more and more attention because there's more and more government agencies and and news media people say, this is a bad thing. We got to stop this. We have to do something about this. And that's making people go, wait, wait a second. 3D printing? Maybe I need to get one. Maybe I need to get one of those 3D printers, you know, and it's a lot like what you see happening in, in the world of folks just going into a gun store and saying, I heard about these AR-15s. I just want to buy one. Right. Right. So as I don't know, you know, Mark, Rob, you guys tell me, is this a crazy um, comparison I'm making? Well, I think uh, I don't mean to step on you, Alex, but I think there's a lot of corollaries is that the government is definitely pushing back on any attempts to, uh, to decentralize and in other words, give options that are outside the government purview. So um, government's all about gaining, maintaining, and, you know, taking more control. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of what governments do. Um, and I think decentralized technologies, like whether it's cryptocurrency or 3D printed guns, um, that those things basically empower people to be more self-sufficient and not need or maybe even defend themselves against government. Yeah. So government yeah, even decentralizing your own security, like for a long time, Correct. most people just relied on the cops. And now we don't rely on the cops all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think um, so. Yeah. So I think ultimately the government is going to fight back any way that it can. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just what I think that's expected. That's what government does. It's protecting mm-hmm. itself. It's it's protecting the legacy system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go, um, Alex. Did you want to say something here? I say we we get if we <laughs> we can dive real deep down philosophy on this road and uh, mm-hmm. and get into like what sovereignty is and who is I guess who where where power naturally resides because 
for a lot of the time we've seen in the last, you know, 40 years, a lot of people, individuals cede whatever, you know, all of their 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 power and control to government authority, government institutions, you know, your national healthcare systems, your um, what is the FDIC, your banking insurance. So, you know, things like that were whereas, you know, with with Bitcoin, with cryptocurrency, you say, no, I don't need banking insurance. I'm my own banking insurance. I'm my own bank. And, you know, once once you come to that, you realize you don't need the government protections. You start to question more and more about what the actual role of the government needs to be. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like espouse anarchy here. I just think our government is too large and overreaching. And when they're deciding how many of which types of bathroom my business needs to have, we've gone too far. Mm-hmm. Three. You need three. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mark? Well, let me just say that I agree with everything Alex just said. Mm-hmm. However, I'm going to be ostracized after this little <laughs> spiel that I'm going to go on. Uh-oh. <laughs> because the problem is, and, and this is a variation of do you want to be right or do you want to make money, right? Mm-hmm. So they talk about that a lot when you're, you know, let's just take poker. Everybody kind of knows poker. They watched it on TV, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, two aces are supposed to win, and how dare you call me with a seven deuce and, you know, all this stuff. Well, do you want to be right? Yes, technically aces is you shouldn't begin there with a seven deuce. If the guy beats you and makes the money, which which side of that bet do you want to be on? The guy bitching and moaning and complaining with the two aces who's bust or the guy with the seven deuce that's got all the money? Same thing applies here. I've been an advocate, and this is going to – people are going to go crazy when I say this, but I've been an advocate for playing the system when it comes to the firearms industry. I think as an industry and a group, we should have gone and gotten more regulation but written it ourselves – to benefit us. Why do you think JP Morgan gets away with murder with everything they do? Why do you think Santander can launder money for all these drug cartels and nobody ever goes to jail? Yes, there's tons of banking regulations, but guess who wrote them? Guess who's in charge of the enforcement? The big banks are. We should be playing the same game that they're playing. The time of lower and smaller government is gone. And anybody that thinks it isn't, isn't paying attention. They're not going to cede their power. You're going to have to take it, and I, we can go down that rabbit hole. But I think one way you can take some of the power back is to get the legislation to swing your way. Why not go before them and write some suppressor legislation? Yes, we don't need more laws in the books, and we've got you know enough laws in the books to fill the Empire State Building, and no one could ever read it. Okay, you want to be right, or do you want the money? Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to for me. If we had to write a few more regulations that made it available to go and buy suppressors right off the shelf— why don't we do that? Oh, they, they, we give them an inch, they take a mile, the government, the government. You're just fighting a losing battle. And I think that translates over into this cryptocurrency. I don't think they're going to ban it. What they're going to do is heavily regulate it. You've already seen that. You've got the KYC, which is the know your customer laws that you have to comply with when you buy from any American exchange. You put your fiat in to buy, you got to give them your social security number. You got to give them a, uh, a, some sort of federal identification, state driver's license, passport, something like that in a digital form. Then they go do that for the anti-money laundering. Mm-hmm. You've already seen that come in. Listen, the, the government's not going to see their place as the world currency, right? The dollar is not going to give up. You know, we have a Navy. Bitcoin doesn't have a Navy, right? So a lot of the Bitcoin maximalists would completely disagree with me. Well, I I believe they're going to end up 
being shown wrong because there are some things going on with Bitcoin that are against the best interests. Can you buy enough? Can you buy enough mercenaries with Bitcoin to overthrow a government? It's not about that necessarily. What it's about is end around regulation. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin effectively gives other state actors, such as Iran and China and some of these other places. And yes, it's a very small amount. I think, you know, Iran has about four percent or so of the hash power necessary to mine Bitcoin. That's not mm-hmm. very much. They can't take over the network. But what it does allow them to do is an end around around the sanctions. Because they can do all of the Bitcoin they want and trade it for U.S. dollars if they can't get any other way. So, I'm, you know, I'm not saying it's only used for criminal purposes. I'm a huge believer in Bitcoin, have been for years, own some of it. You know, it, it's it's not that. But you have to realize that the government's going to look through it through the lens of what's best for them. And they're going to put regulation on this. They already have. Yeah, I mean, you're, 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 so what you're, what you're saying, ago, what you're saying here, and for people who don't know, uh, Mark and I have argued about this. Like you guys will not believe the drop down, not you know, knock down, drag out, whatever, however you say it. I don't even know what the right saying is. We've gotten so deep into these arguments that both of our wives are like, "What the hell is wrong with you people?" Right? So the so, so I'm not necessarily trying to get all deep into that, but you're saying if you can't beat them, join them, kind of a thing, right? Am I right or wrong? What do you on think? That? What do you think the J.P. Morgan, not just the bank now, what do you think he did? What do you think the, sure, the sure. Rockefellers did? They, they all did it. For do you sure. want to be right or do you want to have the end result? Because so, sometimes they're the same, but most times they're not, and it's just that simple. I think that worked for those guys. I mean this is how they controlled like what form of fuel we use for cars, right? And they made it beneficial for themselves. I get all of that. But how the, I think what most people are thinking out there, because I know I am, is – how can you trust even let's say we went to Republicans and we're like, OK, go ahead. Let's make some let's make some rules. Most of them are going to benefit us. I mean, I don't know. I don't I, I don't I cannot tell you that I have any faith that those rules are going to benefit me. It's probably going to benefit those Republicans or those Democrats who agree to it or people in government. But I don't really see how it's going to benefit me. And I think that's when the masses are looking at this. They think, hey, we're so far past this. They're not going to think about let's cede back some power to these guys. Am I, I, I don't know what you what, what uh, Alex or Rob think about that. Sorry, I, I think uh, that. Oh, go ahead. I'm go sorry. Ahead. I was going to say I really like his, you know, Paisley shirt. <laughs> OK, <laughs> that's my comment. <laughs> yeah, Alex, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, he, he was going off about how J.P. Morgan gets away with murder, and I recalled hearing a story about J.P. Morgan funding a plot to uh, to overthrow the U.S. government in, like, the 30s. Mm-hmm. Did anybody mm-hmm. – am I, am I crazy? Uh, isn't the business that, isn't, plot or something? Isn't that the creature from Jekyll Island? Wasn't that what I that was know. all about? I don't know. I remember um, hearing the story, and I can't. I I can't. Like I didn't. I haven't bothered. I'm pretty to sure it, we've. I, I'm pretty I sure swear. we just saw corporations um, have a, a heavy hand in elections right. here in America. I mean, uh, I don't know who would deny. I don't know if Mark would deny that. We we just saw them take control of that. Oh, the the article that came out in Time Magazine last Friday is a perfect example. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. If you've looked at it, if you haven't, you should definitely take a look at the article. Yeah. The, it goes the shadow exactly campaign to – I don't necessarily know if it's a shadow election. campaign. But <laughs> you know, they obviously had um, a concerted effort to 
prop up their beliefs in what was going on and create a narrative. I don't mm -hmm. think there's any doubt about that. But mm -hmm. I, I'll just go back to what you said. You don't see how it would help you in any way. And maybe it wouldn't. But my argument is what you've been doing for the last 20 years hadn't done anything for you either. You're in the same boat now. So maybe, just maybe, you could try a different approach to this. You mean right? like not voting, like not giving money to the NRA? Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, well, I'm already there. I already don't give them. Yeah, but that's just a small step, right? Yeah, I mean, I, sure. I, I don't want to get all the, you know, I mean, I'm an NRA instructor and a lifetime member, so, you know, spare me all the emails right. about, you know, the NRA. I, I know all about it, believe me. Right. Uh, but it, it's not just necessarily that. I, I mean, it goes much deeper. It, it is a, if you can't beat them, join them. And it's obvious we can't beat them. The best we can do is hold them at the wall. Right. And eventually you're not going to be able to do that either. You're going to have to revise a strategy. I mean, that's why the NRA had the ILA, right, to go in and try to exert uh, pressure on policy. Right. And I think that when you look at – I mean, why do you think that uh, Twitter and Google and all of these companies that none of us like – you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, all of us being on the banned list <laughs> – and go into, you know, band.com or whatever. Well, why do you think they're able to do the things that they're able to do? Because they helped craft the legislation through their um, their the, their um, uh, arms that are at the government, uh, their lobbying divisions and lobbying arms. K Street, that's exactly why they're able to do it. And I'm just suggesting that maybe we should be thinking about doing the same. That, that, that's all I'm saying. Right. And, um, that, and that comes to the, the Bitcoin thing, too, or the, or the cryptocurrencies in general. This illusion that you can own Bitcoin and just be your own bank and separate yourself is ludicrous because in order to get out of it and back into fiat, you have to go through the exchange process. Now, as of right now, yes, there are ATMs. I can send some Bitcoin over to a Bitcoin ATM and get some cash for it. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's over a certain dollar amount, they make you put your driver's license in and scan it. So that's number one. And the fees are ridiculous. I mean, you're losing 10, 12, 15% sometimes, depending upon which network you use. So I guess technically you can be your own bank if you're willing to pay such a heavy price to do it. I don't think that's a smart idea, personally. Yeah, I, I guess my, my point is I don't want to be – I don't want to go out of Bitcoin. Like I would – if I could go to the grocery store and buy – insert whatever cryptocurrency you like you know, with that, that would be the ideal. Like that would completely – sort of detach me from the banking system, you know, to, to, to facilitate that transaction. And then that company could theoretically go do whatever they needed with whatever coin that was. So hmm. the circular economy with, with any cryptocurrency is a huge problem. And I don't, I, the, the, the closest people to it are Bitcoin, but again, the, the transaction fees are ridiculous and I still can't go buy groceries or pay my bills or do anything else. Hmm. So, it's a problem, and 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 you know the the investor crowd is not helping uh, <laughs> helping facilitate that. But uh, to your point, if you can't beat them, join them. You know what do we do? Yeah. Like how, how do because the government inherently like as you know anytime you see more government you know power you see uh, a sort of demonization of gun ownership across the board. You see it every time there's any uh, any any incident that like NATO gets involved in internationally. It's okay, well, whatever. One one of you can't have guns anymore, and the other one is the government. So, you yeah. know, we we see that same trend going every 
everywhere that you see a greater government power getting involved. So if the government inherently is against our, against the people owning firearms, what do we do to, to, to combat that? How do we join them? Um, well, that's the, the same thing. I mean, I'll go back to my banking example. So the same thing. Look at all of the banking regulations that are on the books and look at all the extra ones that they put on after the GFC in 2008, 2009, all the Dodd-Frank and all of those things. Regulation after regulation after regulation. Yet the banks are making more money today with all that extra regulation that's supposed to control them and be hard for them to put up with because they control it. My suggestion is to come up with a plan, which I don't have. Obviously, if I had the answer, mm -hmm. I'd be on K Street, you know, making a million dollars a day uh, lobbying. What I'm saying is as a community, and I mean a decentralization community, right? It seems weird for me to be want to be part of the decentralization community yet talk about expanding government regulation. But my point is if you can get the regulation in that's friendly to you and, the, and have it worded in such a way like the banks do, like big oil does, like, you know, like, why do you think there's so many EV credits right now? Why do you think the, these guys get this yeah. $7,500 a car well, EV credit? The, the thing, okay, my thing I would say about this, and by the way, you guys don't have to be nice to Mark because he's my buddy, okay? Mark, <laughs> Oh, Mike, please don't be. Mike, I, I, listen, yeah, I'm, I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> yeah, please don't be. Yeah, but here's my thing, Mark, that I would say about it, the, the way I see this. We're past the point of no return when it comes to the firearm side of this. And the reason why I say that is because, it, to me, it does, there doesn't seem like there's anyone in government, whether it's on the left or on the right, that's interested in putting in um, friendly laws. We're past that. You know, if you go back four years ago, uh, Republicans had a supermajority in America. They could have passed those laws, regardless of what the Democrats said. They could have said, OK, we're going to do this. And they could have made it look like, hey, we're doing, you know, we're putting in a little bit of con controls on this thing here but now everyone you know you can have uh you know 50 state state ccw or you know suppressors come off the nfa or whatever they could have done what you're saying and what they said was oh no we'll just push this down to the midterms or we'll do we'll do this later or whatever so that indicates to me that they're not really trying to put anything friendly uh forward on our side that. huh i can explain it what, what What do you think the reason well, for that is? Money. The banks have all the money to pay them to get the regulation, but the gun community doesn't want to come together as a cohesive. We want to fight over which, you know, who's better, the NRA or this other organization or that organization. Or, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. We have so always better. Yeah, but do we do we have enough? Do I the agree. people in the I gun agree. community have enough? Because basically what you're saying then is we have to bribe the politicians. Legally, just like the banks, just like big oil, just like everything else, they get everything we want. We get nothing. They've yeah. laid a roadmap out in front of us. We're too busy backfighting. Do you think Exxon I, and Chevron? I know for a fact. I know for. I know for a fact that on the other side, those folks are bribing the politicians. But it seems to me like they have more money than than we do personally. Who's talking here, right? Um, maybe if you put the whole firearms industry together, what's the what's the billion? What's the number on the firearms industry? I don't know if Alex or, or Rob have any clue of what the firearms industry is making. Upwards, no upwards to fifty billion a year if you include um, everything around it. So my understanding, fifty billion. Um, okay. It's about five billion for all the guns and ammo, and then when you get into all the accessories and camo, it can get up to fifty billion. That's I think what the NSSF says. Okay. So, so one tenth of Exxon. 
Right. I mean, <laughs> split across several thousand I mean, companies. Right. What's tech? What's tech making? What's the tech? What are the tech guys doing? I mean, they're, they're trillions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're just burning fifty billion dollars. Here, 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 here's the thing, Mark. And and I've I've been a political activist, and I've been pretty effect you know effective in my past. I even ran for Congress at one point, mm-hmm. um, ten years ago. So I, I do understand the political process. And I think the problem is the, for instance, the Libertarian Party will tell you there's no constituency for freedom and liberty because there's a reason why Libertarians don't really get much money. And it's because the Libertarians don't want to do the bribery. They're not going to give you something in exchange for that. And so I think the problem is if you're saying I want to free you, give me money to go lobby for freedom. I mean, there's just that doesn't work. And I think and, I understand what you're saying about trying to be pragmatic and play within the system. But how we're how we're doing it is simple as this. And this is how we're, I don't think it's going to be effective unless you have the bags that tech does. We don't have the bags that matter to them. Mm-hmm. We just can't afford to bribe them uh, with the levels of money. These people are getting kickbacks. It's insane. Wait, wait, can, I, the, can I interject something real quickly there? We don't have to compete with, you know, Google isn't necessarily directly lobbying for firearms laws. It's the organizations that they give a little bit of money to. And I believe collectively as a firearms organization, we can raise enough money to fight the dedicated anti-gun lobbying and lobbyists. I'm not suggesting that we can even remotely compete with Google and Twitter and tech, but they're not directly doing that. I think NRA was trying to do that, and then NRA gave up on bribing the politicians and just went to let's just take this money for ourselves and have a good old time and watch everything burn. I mean, I mean, I think most people don't. Look, you know, I've talked to a lot of NRA guys and and I'm not a super Mm -hmm. big fan of the NRA. And Mm -hmm. but if you talk to a lot of these, especially the older guys that are NRA guys, they think the NRA is doing that. They think they are fighting for us and they're, you know, fighting the good fight. Uh, on well, Capitol if you, Hill, and if you believe the dozen emails you get a day, then you know, there <laughs> <right>. are. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God, but, those things but, are so oh, annoying. But Mark, one of the things that we're doing with Tusk is, in, and it's kind of the strategy and rolling out with what we're doing is we've taken the Amazon approach. Like you know, I'm old enough to remember when Amazon was still a bookstore, and it was a bookstore for I don't know, like five years. And and what we say is. One, we're laser focusing our energies in an industry that has a recognized problem. Okay, let's start there. Most companies in the world, in the West, don't have a problem with payments that crypto solves. So that's one of the big problems um, is crypto doesn't solve a problem for people. In fact, it creates more problems for a lot of people. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the fact is a lot of the crypto projects aren't marketing. Um, and, and holding the hand of retailers and, and incentivizing. So we're focused on working in an industry with a recognized problem that we do solve a problem for them. But what we want to do is that also laser focusing in one industry. I don't know any other crypto that's really doing that. Um, And and the idea is long-term is you get enough retailers on board, you're going to get some distributors on board and you get enough distributors on board, you get the manufacturers on board. And the idea is we do want to create that internal industry ecosystem where you don't have to exit the fiat to conduct business. And that is the long-term strategy. And so as far as roadmaps, Hank, I mean, one of the things that I'd like to see is to start seeing that the retailers don't have to sell Tusk go to cash. But they can say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to RSR Group or I'm going to go to Crow Shooting or Lipsy's or what have you and go buy my supplies now. 
And, and that ultimately is the goal. And if you're trying to just, you know, um, if you're in a crypto project and you just want to like, I'm going to do this patch store, or I'm going to focus on them in this coffee store here, you're never going to be able to get that, you know, that kind of uh, critical mass in one place. And that is one of the things that we're focusing on. I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's not going to happen unless you start, unless you try. And that is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, Control Pew, I think you wanted to get in here on some things or you wanted to get it, Mark, whichever one. Yeah, I, I yeah. was just going to say the, you know, individual arms, be owning your own firearms, making your own firearms, being your own bank, actually owning your own money. Um, these are all things that the whole decentralization idea is sort of the an- antithesis of government. So any decentralization, anything. I don't think is ever going to get us get a seat at that. Let's write our own regulation table. Like we're 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 never going to have the centralized authority that you know J.P. Morgan, U.S. Bank have to be able to put all the money in one place and say you legislators are going to write this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that's ever going to happen when you're dealing with this many collected individuals. Um, yeah. And I think we're just going we're, we're going to be subject to more and more regulation until we finally and, you know, collectively <laughs> reach our reach our, you know, our, our our tipping point and, you know, sort of toss the whole thing up. So I don't know. It, it's 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 a weird position for, for someone in the in the decentralization space to have. I don't think I've ever heard it before, but. I don't know. I, I don't know how it's going to work out in the long yeah. run. I, I mean, I understand the con- I understand the concept of it. I just feel like it's too late. I right. feel like if it was a long time ago, we could have maybe done something yeah. like that. But right now, we're at the point where they've decided what the enemies are, right? And I think they've decided that guns for one are the enemy. I mean, we can argue about that if we want to. But they've decided, yeah, we don't. And it's not that they've decided they're giving up guns. You know, they've decided that we don't want regular people to have guns. We're going to take those guns away from regular people. They don't need it. We're going to secure them when we feel like they need to be secure. We'll we'll take charge of that. I don't think there's any middle ground there where they're going to go, oh, yeah, you know, let's make some rules and then everyone's going to live by this, right? Because we've actually already done that in American history. Uh, and I think when it comes to the other things, they're there as well, like, if the, the one way that we can win is if we start siphoning off the economy that they're living off of, that's making all of these guys wealthier, right? So if we start, if you decentralize that and you start having more control over that, this is a place where you can, you, you know, you can bleed them dry and they don't want they're, that to happen. They're not going to allow that. They just showed you in the Robin Hood uh, game uh, stop. They're not going. They're going to stop you. They're going to bail themselves out. You know. They're going to get on the phone. Then, the then people in America them. have to. Then what? What? Listen. That's true. Cannot argue that. That's true. Ultimately, people in America have to get to a point where they had enough. That's the problem. You know. Yeah, that, see, if if we're getting hit, if we're getting hit as gun guys, no one worries about that. But when. If you notice the way that everyone paid attention to that story of GameStop is that that's a thing everyone pays attention to, right? That's something everyone goes, hold, hold on a second, wait a second. You can't actually buy a stock and go long the stock now? The government or the, the few people, individuals behind that could come in and go, yes, we could short the stock and kill it all we want to. 
But when someone decides to buy their stock and go long, then we're going to take those guys down. We, people have to get mad about that. Then collectively, if we have enough people getting mad about all the things that are happening in America or around the world, then maybe there's going to be that revolution. It's not what I want, but maybe then there'll be that revolution where people get sick and tired of it and realize the one place that the people outnumber the government is, the, is, the, is by the numbers of the people. And if the people actually got upset enough, you know, is, is good going to come out of that? I don't know. But, you know, I mean, when a forest burns down, it's a bad thing and a good thing. Right. I think, yeah, but yeah. I, I don't I don't know. I, I'd like to hear what everybody else thinks about whether or not that's even a possibility. Yeah. Control. You said and now we're all on the list. Yeah. Now we're all on the list. Uh, <laughs> likes, I don't care. I've been on the list. Yeah. Right. I, I know nobody likes to think, oh, they're, you know, my cold, dead hands. They, they want my guns, you know, come and get them and all this stuff. Well, bullshit. The vast majority of people that think that. When that SWAT team either kicks in or knocks on your door to come get your shit and your wife and your four-year-old are standing next to you, you're going to get in a gunfight? No, you're going to lay your guns down. They're going to go get them. And then you're going to maybe try to fight them in court and go through the, the regulations. We just had this incident that happened in the Capitol. When those people, when they're showing up to arrest those people, are there gunfights going on? No. Those people are putting their hands behind their back and getting uh, perp walked. So I have a hard time believing in this narrative of uh you know the great redoubt and you know we're all going to pick up arms and i i just see zero evidence of any substantial in history of that happening there's one or two sheriffs that are saying we're not going to enforce the laws so there are some fringe examples of some minor support for that but a general overall support i i, I just don't see it i don't happening. feel like i don't feel like what happened in the capital was actually anywhere related to our circle of group of people and what we believe. This is this is my this is my understanding. There might have been a couple of people in there that were pro-Trumpers, whatever, but that's nowhere close. I just don't think that that was that. And I think if it was if it was guys in in our realm, right, guys who were training and doing things and knew and 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 knew what they were up to and what they were doing, that the we would be we would have a completely different government right now. Okay, so and if they try to go after those guys, there'll be a completely different result from that. But let's say you're right. Let's say they weren't within the circle, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll buy into that for the sake of this conversation. It just proves my point even more because all they've done is say it's the guys in that circle. Mm -hmm. So they've turned it so it's it's a lose-lose situation. And I just, I just don't think people will get how powerful these people are. And this isn't – I mean I get 50, 60, 70 years ago this would have been a different story altogether, right? I totally get that. But I also think that the living conditions, I, th I think one of the things that's different when people want to talk about, well, the French Revolution and the Revolutionary War, and things are so, in a relative space, good relative to how yeah. things No work. one wants to give up their awesome right now. That's right. No one that's, wants to do that. I would agree with that. We're all yeah, we're, sitting around looking at each other like, who's going to start the revolution? And once it starts and I see it going on for real, then I might consider maybe having a conversation with my wife about whether or not I might perhaps load up and drive down. I'm with you on that. 
we, we haven't we haven't reached a boiling point. That's the problem. We haven't reached yeah. a point. Look, my I'll, I'll tell you something, and and this this may help for people who are thinking this out there. I asked my dad one time because my 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 dad was like when when I was a kid, he played chess with the prime minister of our country, right? He was supposed to be in charge of building up the uh, infrastructure of Guyana, all that kind of stuff. He did that when I was a kid. I went to his projects where they were building stuff. And um, I was like, Dad, why, why did we leave Guyana and never go back? And he said, even though I was in that position, I only had one pair of shoes. And one day that one pair of shoes like wore out. And when I went to the store to look at a pair, what it would cost me to get a pair of shoes and, and compare that to what I was actually making, <laughs> you know, I realized that it would take me a massive chunk of my salary to replace those pair of shoes. This is what happens when you live in a socialist government. That's what Guyana was. And this is what told him, OK, I have to get the hell out now. It doesn't matter that I have like cars and I've got a good job and all this kind of stuff, because ultimately, if I want something outside of what they decide to give me, it's going to take most of what I have. Right. But we don't have that problem because we're living in America and you could get a good pair of shoes from freaking from Walmart. Right. For five bucks. So we're, we're just not there. But he was there and this made him give up the country that he was born in and take his wife and his children and leave that country and go to a completely different place that he wasn't used to and, and go through all of those kinds of things. Are we going through that? I, I mean, are we anywhere near to that in America? I, I doubt it. Look, I, I, think, I think we're on the road, right? We're, we're on the road, we're driving in that general direction. I don't know how much, how much longer we've got on the road until we're there, but all empires fail including ours, mm -hmm. you know, to think that um, to think it's going to go on forever is is a fool's errand in the first place. You know, the British Empire failed. It's now just Britain um, mm -hmm. over, over there on a, on, a, on a little island. So I don't know. I mean, it's 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 hard to say. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know if the British. I don't know. Like I'm not, inevitably on that road. Yeah, I'm. I'm not trying and, to counteract what you said because I think you made a really good point. I don't know if the British Empire failed. I feel like the British Empire realized that they took all the wealth out of, um, or not all of the wealth out of America, but a, a lot of wealth out of America and other places. And then they were like, you know what? Let's just back off now because if we keep going down this path, now we have to support those people. And that's why they voluntarily stepped back. If you noticed in in um, in Europe, even though England is part of like the whole European Union, right, and they're going through the Brexit thing right now, they still have their own currency. If you look at the wealth that they have, the stuff they took out of India, Africa, and and even America, you know, the the royalty over there is actually still pretty wealthy. You know, so I don't know that they fell. I think that a long time ago they were like, oh, yeah, let's just let's just back off and, well, okay. and see what they, happens here. They walked here. up to the precipice yeah. and looked a little further into the future and said, OK, we're going to. Let's not, yeah. you know, let, let's choose a different road, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It, it's 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 a strange and dramatic time. It feels like, you know, looking back historically and stories of my 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 grandparents and parents would tell me about. You know, Vietnam, it feels like a very similar kind of time where there is a lot of division between governmental authority and the general person on the street. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's 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 strange. It feels like to me if, if I'm, I'll, I'll let you get this. It feels like to me they're trying to make a one world 
uh, kind of situation go on. This is what it feels like to me. There's certain people out there. Um, I don't know if you want to say it's Illuminati or whatever. The people who have the most have decided, let's put this all in a one world bucket and then we could step back from this and let whatever happens, happens and we'll be OK. That's how it feels to me. Go, go ahead, Mark. Well, I just kind of wanted to circle back to the and kind of keep it on with the decentralization, mm -hmm. because obviously the two guests here, that's the central focus, I think, of having them on. And I guess my question for both well, of you, them... Well, you started this whole thing, by the way. <laughs> just, just FYI. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I guess, go ahead. My, I guess my question to them mm -hmm. on the decentralization thing is, yeah, I agree. We, maybe we don't have the money. We don't have the, the, uh, the will to come together as a group, so it's not worth doing. What I do know is what we've been doing essentially since 1913 and for sure... Uh, since 1973, 74, somewhere in there, isn't, it just isn't working, right? You're right, Alexander. We are going down the road. The question for me that becomes important is the really, I don't, you know, I don't have, uh, um, my life is only a certain time period. So what concerns me is that of my life and my kids and my grandkids, right? Um, if I start thinking out too far past that generations, hundreds of years, I mean, who has any idea what's going to happen? I'm only worried about what I can focus on today. So to bring it back around to decentralization is I, I'm not advocating for against the decentralization. I think what we need is legislation that allows us to be decentralized where we can come up with a compromise, which is why the know your customer, why the anti-money laundering. We need legislation that's going to allow us to... Uh, to to remain decentralized and have the circular thing with Tusk, where you're buying from your, you know, the customers buying from the retailers, buying from the wholesalers, buying from the the manufacturers, buying from the raw materials guy, and so on and so forth. But to, in order to stay there, I believe we have to get legislation written, which is why a lot of people like Wyoming and there's doing a lot of legislation out in Wyoming with the banking sector for crypto and things like that so that we have some control over what we have to give up versus what we don't have to give up. Because I think one thing people think is, well, you can't stop Bitcoin, it's decentralized. Well, okay, that's probably true. You can't stop it as long as there's power and a computer you know, somewhere that, and uh, uh, you know, running the hash rate and things like that. Maybe mm -hmm. you can't stop it. But I'll tell you what you can do if you're the government, the same thing they did to say online poker or Silk Road or some of these other things. They can stop the on and off ramps that allow you to move in and out of the decentralization. They can stop your landlord and say, if you deal in Bitcoin, you're going to jail. Uh, they can do those things, just like they told the banks. You know, you can't, you can't let people put money in and out of these online gambling sites and so on and so forth. So what did those people do? They went and got legislation that was friendly to them. So now they have online gambling in a ton of states. It's regulated. So... I think having some regulation and decentralization is a foreign concept to most people, but I don't think they think far enough down the path of how powerful the people are. Because just like Hank said, if we take money out of their pockets, they're not going to allow that for too long. That's one way to get at them. But if we have some regulation that's friendly to decentralization, which I know sounds crazy, every time I say it, I think I'm nuts. But I can't find anyone that can tell me how it works when the government can shut it down. I mean, they shut it down in lots of places, right? Uh, and until we're dealing, until you can pay your rent in Bitcoin, 
we have to have on-roads and off-ramps, uh, on-ramps and off-ramps, and they can shut that down. So what do we do about that? And then I think that would be all I say tonight. Uh, okay. Let's. Who wants to go for this? Uh, do you want to go, I Rob? Can, yeah. I can opine. Well, okay. the fact is the government has actually already voiced their opinions on the regulation on all sorts of things. So, for instance, the SEC and the IRS and, and FinCEN have all put out multiple guidances on how to address and deal with cryptocurrency. And so it, it's they have put out a lot of regulations that actually, okay, they fall within the general framework of their existing purview of financial matters and mm-hmm. tax matters. So I think that's already happened to much extent. They and and they're basically saying, yeah, if you follow these general guidelines, you're not going to have a problem. And one of the things that we did when we launched Tusk is that we didn't sell coins and tokens to do a fundraiser and things like that. And so um, we did that intentionally because we didn't want to be an illegal security under U.S. law because that would be a, a definite obstacle to getting on, you know, listed on American exchanges. So I mean, we thought about those things and and did comply with the law. Um, as much as we could. Um, I think ultimately at this point, the government has, you know, thrown their, you know, played their card in their hand on how they're going to handle most cryptocurrencies. Um, how would you I say, think, what would you, what would you say that hand is just because, I mean, I might, you know, there might be some of us who don't fully understand what their position oh, well, is at this point. Well, there's a lot of aspects to crypto and blockchain in general. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different areas of the law where there's a nexus with government regulation. So on the securities, now that might be with the issuance. Um, The IRS deals with the taxes. Mm -hmm. Um, and They've all opined on on how you should be conducting yourself Mm -hmm. in those areas. So, um, you know, there's... There's a not a lot of governance and laws, and as Mark said in Wyoming, they've created a lot of, I would say, banker crypto laws because they're not for decentralization. And I know some of those politicians up there personally, because um, I used to live in Wyoming and hang out with those guys. Um, but ultimately, you know, the Wyoming laws are about making Wyoming friendly to crypto banks. So they're trying to make Wyoming like a new Delaware for crypto banks. Um, I don't believe the laws in Wyoming actually support decentralization whatsoever. Um, but um, that being said, they have created a framework up there for crypto to be used lawfully and regulated in that way. And I think that's already been done for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and just one quick question to you from Pauly Walnut. Um, Paulie, Paulie says, is Tusk trading anywhere yet? If so, where? Uh, we are currently traded on five exchanges. Uh, the biggest one is Probit. Uh, we are not in the U.S.-based exchanges yet. We are working on it. Um, but you can go to Tusk.network, and there's a list there um, of the exchanges in our trading pairs. Okay. All right. Cool. So, Alex, uh, you probably have some, some thoughts on this. I'll let you get that out. I have a lot of thoughts. I'm not <laughs> sure which one which one came first. Pick, yeah, pick it, man. Just, just go for the one oh. for, foremost in your mind. I don't think – that any government, any legislator, any 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 government organization would sign on to anything that openly supported decentralization of power. Because decentralization, in my opinion, is the 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 very opposite of government. Um, so you come to decentralizing money, like the like Rob said, the banking laws they aren't supporting decentralization. They're actually supporting collecting all of that money there. When you get to the banking regulation that's been passed, 
Um, it was all about centralizing money in the hands of the banks and the government. Um, and so you see, you know, how does that apply to firearms? Well, firearms are an individual purpose. They're an individual utility. Like I can use that, but we collectively cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, or we, we can't use one. We can use, you know, our own individual. So it's mm-hmm. an individual entity. And it is, you know, a decentralized thing. It's it's up to the individual to use it uh, as they see fit. So I, I, I think the government, as we go along, our government will be more and more uh, opposed to firearms and in, in, in any form mm-hmm. in the entire industry. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that things are going to necessarily get better in our near future as far as, you know, gun regulations go and financial regulations and just general decent, the, the idea of decentralizing yourself. So it's, if we want to see that happen, the people we elect need to be, need to have that, you know, forthright in their minds. And then they need to get, not get whacked by, you know, the CIA or something. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's it's a strange time to live. <laughs> I, I agree with you. It's going to be tough for this particular um, section of what we're doing. I think what Mark is saying it would might work and may make more sense in other sectors, especially ones that are in early development and these guys don't understand where it's going yet, right? But I think when it comes to cryptocurrency, especially one that's specifically designed to keep the firearms industry going, the folks out there who already allowed rules and regulations that, that make uh, Operation Choke Point exist are not gonna go, oh yes, okay, if you guys do this, everything's all good. They're, they're not gonna do that, right? Because they're the ones that wanna to squeeze people, the regular people out from being able to buy guns. That This is just what they wanna do, right? They just wanna make this more difficult. They don't wanna make it easier. And I think it's the same exact thing with 3D printed guns. Maybe if we were like 10 years ago or something, we're like, hey, you know, people don't really realize we could make guns out of these 3D printers. Let's do this. It's too late for that. They already know what could be done with the 3D printers, and they don't want to allow that or for people to have easy access for that. They're already trying to figure – we could already see it creeping into bills that are out there, right? Yeah. We already see – Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. So I thought you I thought you were done, but okay. No, I'm just kidding. But my question is, so what are you going to do about it? So if you're telling me, well, we can't get our own legislation passed, and they're going to legislate, and it's just going to get worse. What's the plan? All I want to know is what's the plan. The first thing I'm going to do is when they start doing those, when they when they get to that point, I'm not going to comply with whatever they do. Well, they're already to that point. You can't have a machine gun. You, you got to go through hoops and stuff to get us. A, a and we've complied with all that. I think I've, I'm at the point where I'm not complying with anything uh, uh, past that. And then and then, like we said already, everyone is looking around like, OK, are you guys going to fight about any of this or, you know, what's going to happen? I feel like it's going to come down probably to states. There's going to be certain states that, you know, maybe we can get a better handle on the states and what they do, and they may be more friendly to what we're talking about, or some of us, you know, but at some point, we're going to come to that heat moment in America. And I don't know who's going to win. No one knows who's going to win. Whenever that happens, if you've ever lived in a country that's gone on there like a coup or any kind of revolution, like I'm not talking about read about it. I'm talking about living there. Right? No one knows what's going to happen, what's going to come out of that. 
But unfortunately, that's a point that, that we're heading to in America. I know that's kind of sad and it's like a loss of control over everything, but. Uh, well, I think when it comes to, like, say, more gun regulation, uh, I think that we the government is not going to do the conservative fantasy of just blocking off streets and then a bunch of military comes out and go door to door. They're not going to do that. They know that that would be the fastest way to kick off a revolution. They're not that stupid. They're just going to make things illegal. And then when you randomly get pulled over speeding and the nice patrolman in any state finds that you got an illegal bump stock, he's going to take you to jail and you're going to get charged with federal crimes. Uh, you know, or it'll be like, uh, you know, your ex-girlfriend or ex-wife calls the cops on you because she's mad at you. And all of a sudden, oh, by the way, not only does he, he's a gun guy, he's also got this illegal, you know, suppressor he made from some solvent. Yeah, so somewhere. get rid of the revolution. Revolutionaries yep. one at a time on their own is what you're saying. Yes. It, mm-hmm. and, well, that's what they're going to do. They're just It's just going to be an, an act of attrition, right? That's how they're going to get people, you know, and there's not a law enforcement agent in the country that's going to risk his pension and his job to let you go, some rando stranger on the side of the road, because all of a sudden he's had an epiphany and a change of heart about enforcing laws. That's never going to happen, right? And we, they see it all the time because they have arrested people over bump stocks already and mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, I think they've arrested not people do- over the pistol braces. Sorry, that's I, that's I what's come <laughs> out with the with the um, ATF. Which, by the way, John Crump. Just as a quick aside, John Crump says he's dropping. He's got more document leaks from the ATF. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I, I, I was just going to say that I think Mark is right that I, I don't believe that most armchair conservative, you know, FUD gun guys are going to revolt. Um, I, I think ultimately most people, most 99 percent of people will do exactly what they're told. And, and part of the thing is, is especially two A guys, which tend to be conservative, are law abiding. Right. I mean, and and they want to believe in America and apple pie and they were raised to respect law enforcement. And a lot of them love law enforcement. They have those, you know, thin blue line flags all over their house next to their Trump flags. Those guys are not going to revolt. They'll be pissed. They'll gripe. They're the same guys that are on Facebook groups bitching about the price of ammo and price gougers. But if that's the case, then we're in checkmate then we're we're in checkmate. No, that's isn't that the end game here? If 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 we're not going to revolt. And then also they realize that we're not going to revolt and they could pick us off one at a time. And then enough people go, yeah, I don't want to get separated from my family. Then we're still we're at stalemate or checkmate or some some kind of. I, I, I think there's a line for a lot of people. And, and I I don't know what that is for me and I don't know what it is for you. I do think that still having weapons and proliferation in the populace still is a really good hedge. I hope we never need them. But if you ever study revolutions, and and I I actually like to read history books. Um, I love to read about the Finnish War or maybe the Bush War in Zimbabwe or even more interesting, the Irish Revolution. I used to live in Ireland, so I love Irish history. And if you read those revolutions and those, those little wars, you'll quickly understand the problems that they have when people don't have access to weapons. And, and ultimately, I believe, and this is why I've been following, you know, Alex for, I don't know, a long time now, actually. And I was in the key base groups and I just lurk, but I'm learning. And, and ultimately, I believe that what they're doing is God's work, because I believe that that's maintaining this subtle balance of power. The politicians do know that they can go so far, but there's still a line they know that there is a line 
that they won't cross while people are so heavily armed. And I believe that that's why we got to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, we got to keep the signal going. We got to amplify that. We got to come up with a decent and, and look, I'll be honest. If, if, if Tusk fails, right? If Tusk failed, but yet I was able to reach people and at least instill in their mind the concept of decentralization. And even if Tusk failed and they heard me somewhere and they went and started using Bitcoin, I'd still see that as a big win. And so to me, it's about amplifying that message and getting that out there so people can decentralize themselves. And, and I think it's just going to take time. But to say that we're at a stalemate, I, I, maybe a stalemate. But you know what? I, I like it when there's gridlock in Congress. I like it when they do nothing, personally, because it only gets worse when they do something. It never gets better. Um, the optimal I, state of government is yeah. doing nothing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and so ultimately, um, I understand where Mark's coming from, and, and I tend to agree with his point of view. But on the other hand, you know, I, I've been to countries, other countries in the world that were a war zone. Trust me, even in, when I lived in Ireland in the 90s, Northern Ireland in the 90s was a police state. Right. Literally, I got pulled over by, you know, British military checking my papers in the middle of the road by a column of British soldiers. And and I was very young at that point. But that's the first time I had experienced being in an actual police state. And I can tell you it was a very humbling experience for me. And so I can tell you that we need guns out there and we need that signal. We need to teach people how to make homemade ammunition and homemade guns. And because it's just it's just this like um, it's sandbags, man. It, it's like it's supplies. And you know what? I love the idea of proliferation in the hands of a lawful, mighty country. And honestly, on the other hand of it, you know, it also is still is regardless of what people want to say, it's a big freaking deterrent to being invaded by commies. <laughs> you know, uh, we're the most well-armed civilian population on the planet. They don't want to come after us. Um, but I also don't think it's going to be this, you know, I think the way they're doing it is they're not going to try a Ruby Ridge anymore. They're not going to try a Waco anymore. I mean, they've already learned that they will not fare well that we way. Not only that, the, we proved that with the Nevada BLM stuff. The, the, yes, they're yeah. not going to do that. They are going to back down and then they'll be back later when everybody's dispersed and they'll get them one exactly. at a time. And so ultimately my take is this, we just got to get, freedom in the hands of people. And ultimately I do think it does keep them at bay mm. knowing that that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, I think that was very well put a uh, good place to end it. Um, this is one of the reasons why, um, you know, I'm trying to have you on and have control P on and there's folks out there fighting for like second amendment, sanctuary states, all that kind of stuff. While we're trying to have guys like Matt LaRossia that we spoke about earlier on more and more, I think these are the little pl places that we could do some uh, little paper cuts on uh, big government that's out there. Okay, listen, we're over the nine o'clock hour. Okay, I'm sure Mark can think of some more things to get everyone riled up. <laughs> I'm sure he has a list right now. And that's exactly, trust me, I know him. This guy right now has more ammo than I do. Okay. Um, so I probably guns and stuff like that. So just Both literally and figuratively, <laughs> right, right. So let me, let me, uh, wrap this up. I'm going to start with, um, Alex of control pew. How can the folks out there find out more about you? If they want to know more about 3d, uh, 3d guns and stuff like that, where do they go? Uh, primarily controlpew.com. Um, that's my website. I'll post updates about what's going on in the community and new file releases and what have you. Um, at Control Pew, everywhere on social media at the moment, 
Um, I don't think I got banned recently. Um, time will tell. Um, if you want to support the community, shop.controlp.com and donate.controlp.com. You can get merch, swag, and whatever. And uh, donate directly to developers to help them with their projects. Awesome. Yes. And I would say to anyone out there, the Tebby into the 3D printing thing, you want to come on, talk about these kind of things, you're welcome to do it. We need to uh, make sure we get the uh, message that Control Pew is putting out there uh, as much as we possibly can. So share that stuff when you see it out there. Um, let me go to Mark. Uh, Mark, if the folks out there want to fight with you uh, or find out more <laughs> about hairless cats or whatever, how can they how can they do that? Uh, uh, at HankStrange.com. No, 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 no. No. Oh, you're not giving up any info, huh? You're just going to drop bombs? I mean, I don't have any info. Oh, okay. <laughs> everything I do is with HankStrange.com. Seriously. Right, I don't, yeah. Here's I don't what, have it. Yeah, I'm going to do more stuff with Mark, probably even on the car channel, and you'll see even some bigger fights over there for anyone who's interested in that. <laughs> we'll get into that over there. Okay, so uh, Rob of uh, Tusk, Rob McNeely, how can, the, how can the folks support Tusk or find out more about Tusk for that matter? One, I just want to reiterate, check out Control Pew. I can tell you I've learned so much in the last year following these guys. But I would also say that the amount of research and development that's going on with their groups and used to be the key-based groups and things like that in firearms, they're pushing science. Mm -hmm. You know, Whether it's the ECM of the barrels and the other stuff that they're doing, they're pushing R&D in a way that is incredibly innovative. And, and the beauty of it, which I didn't hear him say, is that they're doing it with cheap stuff. They're deliberately being able to help the average person build firearms in, with the cheapest products possible. And that's one of the things that I think is really clever and very innovative about the work they're doing. So I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. I really love what you guys are doing. Um, as far as what we're doing, if people are interested, um, you can check me out anywhere on social media. It's just my name, Rob McNeely, um, and that's on every kind of social media platform. And if you want to learn more about Tusk, we do have a Discord, we do have a Telegram, and our Twitter is Tusk Network on Twitter, and it's just Tusk.network is our URL. So Tusk.network. Okay, um, awesome. And let me just do this before we get out of here. I'm going to uh, run in the end that I'm going to come back. Uh, shout out to everyone who's out there. I appreciate you guys. Um, tomorrow, we, we actually have Eric Pratt from GOA on the show. So that's going down tomorrow. You might you might want to make sure you tune in for that. Should be a great fun show. Um, thanks to everyone for joining us here. This was awesome, amazing. I enjoyed the conversation. Um, if you want to find out more about uh, 3D printing stuff, I, I know that Alex does a lot of stuff with my friends that we like shooting. <laughs> uh, Sean is pretty much obsessed with 3D printing these days. So you can you can check that out as well, right? Yeah. He's my number one fan. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I know. I was on the show. All right. Stay right there, everyone. I'm going to run in the end, and we'll be right back. All right, guys. Thanks for watching the show here. We're going to pull out the audio of this and throw it up on iTunes and all the other places that you get your audio podcasts from. So make sure you like, share, subscribe, share the message. Uh, who wants the final word? Who wants the final word here? Yeah. Come on. Rob, take it away. Oh, I just want to say, uh, make sure you listen to the Hank Strange podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, I really do appreciate you guys having me on tonight. And like I said, uh, folks, it, it's all about do you want the government controlling your money or do you want a group of people that believes in what you believe and have the same values and supports the Second Amendment? Do you want them to create a money where you know what the rules are 
It's governed by code that anybody can look at. Um, and if you're interested in 3D printing guns, uh, go talk to Control Pew because they got some really cool stuff going on. Absolutely. We appreciate what you're doing as well, Rob, with Tusk. Uh, I think it's very timely and necessary. So I hope folks at least take the time to uh, dig it more into this. Uh, I appreciate everyone coming on. We're out of here. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll see you guys with Eric Pratt of GOA. It's going to be a fun show. We're out. Peace.